In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello, welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am your host, Tom Sidlatik, and today, tonight, we are going to discuss the iconic PlayStation duo of Ratchet and Clank. We're going to break down the remastered version of the original game, we're going to discuss the absolutely awful movie, and then the most recent title, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. hey yo. And the indefatigable John Munch. <laughs> howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to the show, guys. Now, Burns, we're going to go see friend of the show, Patrick DeGeese, perform stand-up this weekend. Are you packing Rotten Tomatoes or what? No, I like to throw uh, much different types of produce. And so I throw fresh produce onto the stage because it, then it's not just it's not just a negative. It's also a positive for them. Like, they can gather that up because I'm sure they're not making a lot of money. And then they can make a nice salad out of that or something along those lines. Um, and I also like to mix it up. Sometimes I'll throw like a rutabaga or a kohlrabi out there, something now, that they maybe don't eat that often. Now, how do you even know how to prepare a rutabaga or whatever the, hell the second thing you said was? Well, I have no idea how to prepare a rutabaga, but kohlrabis are kind of potato-like. They're a little bit different than that. And how we would always have them when I was growing up is you take mashed potatoes and then you slice the kohlrabis and you um, you boil them and then put them in like a cream sauce and then that all goes over the mashed potatoes so it's like it's like double doubling up on carbs john you're a man of, you're a man of the world like is kohlrabi a real thing or is burns just one, pulling my leg one i've never heard it called kohlrabi it's kohlrabi and it has some kohlrabi and all you do is you slice it raw throw a little salt on it and you're good to go I mean, cooking it works fine too, and I was—I always heard it called kohlrabi when I was growing up. So maybe that's a difference between southern Minnesota and northern Minnesota. It must be what it is, right? Then again, that's also coming from my dad, who calls a towel a tallow. So it could just be he doesn't know how to say words. <laughs> there just, is that. You know, <laughs> that explains why you're such good sport, friends with right? me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, John, you haven't been on the main show since Witcher Mania last December. What's up with you, my friend? Oh, man, everything and uh, all kinds of fun stuff, right? Lots of games, lots of Elden Ring, right? Uh, you know, some Ghost of Tsushima and, like, awesome major uh, Nintendo finds, right? Garage sale hunting. Now, you just made a major score. Tell us about what you picked up and what you're going to be able to turn it around for. Literally last week... I, on a whim, stopped at a garage sale, dropping my, my kid off at gymnastics. I was like, ah, let's go look at one more garage sale here on the way home. <laughs> and pulled in, here is a box of Nintendo stuff. But what like caught my eye was there was three mint in-box NES games complete. So they had Kid Icarus, Super Mario 3, and Donkey Kong Jr., right? black box i was like oh my gosh i have to get this right they wanted to i offered 150 they took 175 i said good out the door had to buy any other there's an nes in there and a bunch of other random stuff i knew it was something special got it home started looking at like you know what it was researching and like that it's, it's like consumed my life for the past weeks because it's been fun to dig into this 
it turn, turns out, like, the box that I had was one of the first, like, Donkey Kong Jr. boxes made because it has this thing on the back called a hanging tab, which is basically just the punch-out they used that were printed into the boxes um, for, like, the first run of NES games, right? And it's the five-screw back, so that proves that it's the earliest Donkey Kong Jr. game and all this sort of, like, you know, awesome variant stuff, and it's perfectly intact, right? Most of the time you see these, and they're all ripped up and this and that. That's why I was like, well, what are they selling on eBay for? And recently they've been selling for five, $600. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So now I have to figure out how I'm going to sell this Nintendo game that I obviously I don't really need and I don't have that much, you know, uh, attachment to uh, online. Now, I don't understand the collector mindset here. Like, you know, sports cards, I kind of get. Like, if you have an affinity for Kirby Puckett in the World Series 87, 91 seasons, Okay, sure, there's some value there. A rookie card for LeBron James. I I get the value tied with that, but a Nintendo game, like if you're searching for Donkey Kong Jr., why does the original case matter? Why does it have to be that first one? Why does it need to be the five screw set? Like I just I don't get it. It's a it's a rarity, right? There was only a I mean, so there's ten thousand, there are hundreds of thousands of these Donkey Kong Juniors out there, but maybe there's only five thousand that were printed with this box type that have this screw set. Right. It's unique. And when you're the guy that's going for I need complete everything and they've got every game. Now they start going, well, I need to have every variant of the boxes. So I need every one that was released. It's, it's kind of the same if you look at comic books with variant covers. Um, I mean, that's why they put out variant covers, because those are going to increase in value because there's not as many of those out there. And so it's it's the same type of thing, only it was unintentional <laughs> on the Nintendo side of things. I guess it's just the collector mindset that fascinates me because I, I've gotten down a rabbit hole when I played Mage Knight, when I played Hero Clicks, like I wanted to get the entire sets and like I wanted to really dive into those experiences. But like the thought of collecting every game released on a console just seems uh, crazy to me. Like my wife would murder me like... <laughs> Well, I will tell you, so now that I've caught the bug, right? Like, I mean, I've been garage sailing and trying to flip stuff and do all sorts of this stuff. Like, I've been doing this for years. Never anything other than, like, onesie-twosies, right? But I got the bug. I was like, oh, I had my first, like, huge score. So I want any of the profits I make from this, I'm fully turning it back into, like, all right, what else can I buy? And then, you know, in order to basically build out my collection (laughs) and maybe make a little money if I'm lucky, right? Because... If I can sell this, I'll make some money and I'll get a sweet Super Mario 3 complete inbox that will look really cool on my shelf, right? And that's a game I had when I was a kid, right? So my goal as a collector is to collect the things that I sold off because I was a kid and have those again, right? Well, I still have my original box from Chrono Trigger and I have my original box from Final Fantasy 6, right? 3 for Super Nintendo. I don't have the games, though, because I sold them. Because I was like, well, I could play those on an emulator and on my Wii U or this or that. Or now there's a Pixel Remaster. But I still don't want it back. Like, uh, there's something, you know, I have a little, like, CRT TV that I took to my in-laws to test some stuff on. And now that I have it and, like, Nintendo was up on it and I was playing Super Mario 2 and my daughter came in. It's like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, okay, I gotta have a little bit of this piece of, like, who I was when I was their age for my kids to show that. I mean, you could be playing Super Mario 2, or you could be playing more Elden Ring. <laughs> I kid. Although my kids know, like they, they 
they've like walked into the office like once or twice when I'm playing Elden Ring, right? And it's like, okay, stop, right? I can't show my nine-year-old like <laughs> you know, they'll have nightmares, all that sort of stuff. But they know Elden Ring, like, and we'll be out, and they'll be like someone like wearing an Elden Ring shirt. Dad, that person's wearing an Elden Ring shirt. <laughs> yeah, they're cool. So. Aren't, aren't they afraid of like the I can't remember the name of it, but the creature they, like it's like the falcon doors that would open up and then you'd have to walk through them in Super Mario 2. I mean, those are kind of nightmare fuel, aren't they? Uh, what's abstract enough? It's okay. <laughs> OK, OK, right. It's not, you know, you're not actually looking at, you know, a giant monster ripping off its own leg or, you know, someone like merging a dragon onto their arm and shooting fire out of it. So they're okay. Man, Elden Ring sounds awesome. We should play that game for the show. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm in. (laughs) Actually, we've already got it booked and you're not on it. I'm sorry. Blasphemy. Yeah, blame our sponsor. (laughs) Speaking of our sponsor, we would like to thank Premier Health with our whole heart of hearts. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. You can follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow Burns at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Follow me at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also follow the show at Facebook.com slash OutsideIsOverrated. We also encourage you to support the show at www.patreon.com slash OIO. That's pretty easy. You just go to Patreon, set your pledge, enter your credit card, and you're all set. What do you get for your support? Well, we throw a big party for our patrons every summer, which is coming up on August 20th. We once again have a big giveaway, like grand prize at the party, as well as a giveaway for every patron. Uh, the grand prize at the party, I'm not going to say what we're giving away this year, but last year, we gave away a PS5. We gave away a PS5 when uh, PS5s were still very, very hard to get, and I'm very proud that we were able to make that happen, and very grateful to our sponsor, Premier Health, for kicking in the lion's share of that. Um, But it's a pretty good time. We spend the money on advertising, we do $3 a day on Google AdWords, and we'd like to go even higher than that, and we also pay for the media consumed for the show so that people like Burns and John don't have to spend out of their own pockets to talk about games. Please sign up at patreon.com slash OIO. Contributions start at just $2. Let's dive into our first main topic, Ratchet & Clank Remastered. Now, the original Ratchet & Clank game came out in November 2002. The series has spanned nine mainline entries, six spin-offs, one reboot, and one bundle. We'll start our conversation focused on that reboot, Ratchet & Clank, released in 2016. Ratchet & Clank reboot reimagines the original game in the series, borrowing characters and mechanics from future entries. You play as Ratchet, a cat-like Lombax, and a defective warbot named Clank. The duo travels to several planets across the galaxy to defeat evil Chairman Drex and his lackey, Dr. Nefarious. The bad guys are blowing up planets and taking pieces to build a new homeworld for the Drek. For Joey and me, this was our very first experience with Ratchet and Clank. That's right, right, Burns? Mm-hmm. John, what was your personal history with the franchise? You know, I played a bit back in PS2 days. I remember playing some of these on and off. There were so many of them that kind of came out. They were a little bit noisy, right? And I was really <laughs> big into just RPGs, which I still am today. Um, and also, I kind of feel like you either ended up in, like, you play Jack Baxter, or you play Ratchet and Clank, right? They were kind of, you know, you you were one or the other. It was a little Sonic Mario-ish, right? And I, I for whatever reason, 
was playing more. I played Jack and Daxter. And I yeah. That platformer. Do you uh, regret that decision? No. All right. I've never played uh, Jack and Daxter, and I've never played Ratchet and Clank. I guess I played a lot of Madden and NCAA football at this time of my life. Well, and they were, it was a very contentious debate between those two sides. Like, a lot of people say that that's why Tupac and Biggie were both murdered, was over that, not over some, like, rat feud or anything like that. It was over Jack and Daxter versus Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, just like OIO straight gangsta, yo. Yes. On East Coast, West Coast here, it's multiple guns. It's Lombax versus whatever Jack was. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea either. I, I missed I missed these games. So I would I played basically the last game I remember playing on the PS2 was Final Fantasy X. And then after that it was basically just sports games and GTA and like guitar hero in college. Like that's all I really played. So I missed like all of the time period that would have been both Jack and Daxter and ratchet and clank. Um, and then uh, like, and then the beginning of the PS3 era as well. And then once I bought a PS3, finally, I, I felt like I was catching up on things. And so the first game I played was elder scrolls oblivion. And I didn't really need much other games <laughs> if I was playing that. And so I, I missed like the heyday of Ratchet and Clank. And so it was interesting to be able to jump into this experience for the first time and get a grounding as to what these games are all about. And I think I missed this era because I was almost entirely focused on sports games. I had an Xbox 360 and I had uh, Oblivion and I spent a lot of time with Oblivion. But I spent so much time playing football games and eventually I got to the point where I'm like, there are all these games with like a narrative and an actual tangible ending. Like I really need to focus on some of these other experiences. And it was just, it was another time of life. Like now I have the resources that I can buy and play a lot of different games. Whereas back then I had to be a lot more selective. Let's I'll be honest. The real reason why we didn't play this world of Warcraft was out. (laughs) Yeah. I almost (laughs) fell out of college when world of Warcraft came out. (laughs) Right. Like that sucked up a lot of my time. Right. You know, I, you know, PS2, came out right at the time where EverQuest, you know, was coming out mm-hmm. and, and when World of Warcraft hit. So, like, I wasn't playing the hot new platformers and this and that, picking up every game. I picked up the, the cool RPG that I wanted to play, and then it was just in Kingdom Hearts, and then it was World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, Warcraft. Yeah. The PlayStation 2 came out in fall of 2000. I remember that distinctly because it's the year I graduated from high school. And then World of Warcraft came out my senior year of college. So that had to be like 2005. So there's a little gap. John, what were you doing with yourself? No, it wasn't in 2005, was it? I distinctly remember playing World of Warcraft in like 2002-ish, 2003-ish, right? Oh, were you playing it on beta? That sounds awesome. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm, maybe. Ever when play- you get to be 40, your brain goes a little... Yeah, well, to be fair, to maybe be, it was 2004, 2005. You're right. To be fair, that was 20 years ago. We can, we're allowed to be a little fuzzy <laughs> on it. EverQuest was definitely out around 2000. World of Warcraft was a bit later. And for me, like, oh, it was it was Final Fantasy Online. That's what I was playing. Final there Fantasy 11, yeah. Oh, because and and, and yeah. when I went to college, I started playing games on PC also. So like, and I remember like Battlefield 1942 was a game, and then like Day of Defeat, which was a mod for that. Like those are games that sucked up a lot of my time in early college. And so if I was playing like actual big gaming experiences, it was on that. Otherwise, if I was playing anything on PS2, since I had beaten Final Fantasy 10, it was basically just playing the party games. So Guitar Hero. 
um, GTA, which I thought was always a party game. And then, yeah, sports games, because I'd always buy a Madden or an NCAA football. Here's a uh, fun random anecdote. I once had a roommate's cat eat my PS2. Uh, the whole thing? Yeah, well, no, just some wires connecting it. It was it was acting a little wonky. And one roommate, I lived with two dudes at the time. One roommate thought he could fix it. So, like, he takes off the case and, like, he disassembles it on our coffee table. And then we go to a party. <laughs> and we come back and the other roommate's cat had eaten the wires. So, I was like, oh. So, we all went in three ways and bought me a new slim PS2. And, uh... It was a very happy ending. <laughs> that's that's so crazy. Yeah, cat ate my PS2. <laughs> Coming back to Ratchet and Clank, the core gameplay loop for this game, and I believe for the series as a whole, you blast enemies, you gain XP, you upgrade your weapons, you explore different worlds, and you chase a boatload of collectibles across the galaxy. Burnsy, I think you think you uh, equated this game as a dead ringer for your absolute favorite experience you've ever played on the podcast another insomniac game spider-man 2016 no no so I, what I, what i kept comparing this to was sunset overdrive and and maybe it maybe it was one of those things where i have just recently listened to that podcast that we recorded on sunset overdrive also but um it, it's a third person shooter with platforming elements and a vast array of like wonky weapons. And it's one of those things where I think Sunset Overdrive came out. It would have been in like the early 2010s. So like 2013, 14, 15, it was early in the Xbox One life cycle. And so then in this game in 2016, it just is vastly superior in like every way. Like upgrading your weapons, you, you do it in a much more like easy to digest fashion instead of just having to spend things to upgrade on them. And let me uh, interrupt you just for one second to be clear. Ratchet and Clank is superior in every way. Yes. Yes. No, a thousand percent. Yeah. You had been talking about something. I wanted to make that transition clear that you vastly prefer the upgrading in Ratchet and Clank. Yes. Yes. And, and the, the movement and the platforming is, is so much better even just in the, the 2016 version of Ratchet and Clank compared to that. And uh, I don't know if it was exactly the same team at Insomniac that went on to that because at the same time they were developing Spider-Man. And so I'm sure it was a a hodgepodge of people that moved off of Sunset Overdrive to work on both of the different games. But uh, but it was just it's interesting because from a gameplay setup, it's very similar. Um, And I, I haven't played a lot of the earlier Ratchet and Clank games, but I would guess that even those probably played quite a bit better than at least in my mind sunset overdrive played um and i think part of it was just trying to have so much movement um and and the fact that you were supposed to be always moving in sunset overdrive i think that makes it difficult where you do have to do that in ratchet and clank but it's not like it's not like a must like it is in sunset overdrive your level design kicks in here Right. And I think that's the big difference. Right. When you look at Sunset Overdrive and you know, I wasn't on that podcast, but I played the game kind of spiritually with you guys. And I <laughs> echo a lot of what Burns said about that game. Right. And it's aimless. Right. Where am I going? What am I doing? You're kind of bouncing all around. You're looking at the you know, I didn't jive with the level design. And then you had like these big like battle missions and all that stuff. And when you switch two years forward to when they release Ratchet and Clank. Right for the PS4, 
it's this narrow focused, hey, we have guide rails to keep you going. There's fun stuff to explore, but you then get the fun of Sunset Overdrive, which is these crazy wacky weapons and, and like destroying hordes of enemies, right? So to me, it's putting those guide rails on, giving you a little bit of room to explore, right? And and, and a little bit of story just to kind of tie the whole thing together is what makes it a better experience. I thought the core gameplay loop was great. I really liked every bit of the Ratchet & Clank experience, but I'll say this, to make one final comparison between these two games, I actually thought the moment-to-moment -moment action in Sunset Drive was just more fun than Ratchet & Clank, largely because it was faster and more chaotic. Agree or disagree? I'd agree with, I, 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 I can see that point, right? I can see that point. The It is a lot more all over the place, right? And... 2016 Ratchet and Clank is a lot more toned down. I think Rift Apart destroys Sunset Overdrive in that area, right? And we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, it, it is, you know, there's an emptiness in the world sometimes in 2016 Ratchet and Clank, mm -hmm. right? You can kind of feel that way. Like, once I've killed everything, everything's kind of dead, and now I'm just kind of wandering around, and there's nothing here. So I can see what you're saying there. Yep, Sunset Overdrive was awesome. <laughs> The story from the Ratchet & Clank remake deviated from the original version of the game and synced it with the movie that also released, I believe, in 2016. From a narrative perspective, John, was this a fulfilling experience? You know, I, I do think so, right? Uh, it got the job, right? There's some really cool stuff. The reason why it works is because of the unreliable narrator with Quark, which makes it fun, Right. Like the that point, like really Ratchet and Clank become almost like, you know, your little avatars and they don't have a lot of personality that that impactful. Right. But the side characters of the, the game are what sell it and bring it to Skidmark. And uh, I forget the guy's name, but man, every time I I've played this game a couple of times, every time I play it, the guy who needs the brains. Like, I love that guy. Mm -hmm. Dr. Nefarious, like all the villains, like the side characters bring it together and the little side stories. And that's what makes it wraps it all up and makes it satisfying in the end because it's just fun. And I want to go down another quick rabbit hole here with another anecdote. I'm well established for being largely irritated by non-sequential storytelling. I think it's just <laughs> one of the most frustrating ways to tell a story. I think that an unreliable narrator is an awesome way to tell a story and i love having that little shadow of doubt like am i getting actual honest truthful information here or is it completely colored by their own agenda i just i think that's a wonderful storytelling device and i wish more games had an unreliable narrator burns your thoughts on the narrative experience of the ratchet and clank remake yeah, i enjoyed it quite a bit i think it had good pacing uh it's definitely you know comparing it reversely it's a lot more threadbare than like rift apart is for sure uh, what, what's really weird also, uh, is that there's things that it kind of glosses over that are filled in by the movie, uh, which I thought was a bit strange at times. Can you um, think of a specific example? I openly <clears throat> load the movie, which we'll get into more, and I can't think of a time where the movie outshone the game in any regard. So, like, the whole bit with Quark... Uh, like deceiving you all, basically. It, it, it's just, it's like one brief snippet where you see him in a cell talking to one of the bad guys. And, and then it's just like, that's all you really get of it. Whereas it's actually developed quite a bit in 
in the movie. Uh, and, and there's a couple of other things, too, like between Ratchet and Clank, which is weird because Ratchet and Clank are together like most of the time in this game. Um, um, and, that, and so that was another thing, uh, as well as Ratchet's relationship with the Galactic Rangers. You don't really get any interplay with any of them throughout the game except for Quark. Uh, and uh, there's at least a little bit more of that in that, that could have been in the game and probably should have been in the game because I think it would have just helped give you a better idea of like what was going on between just going from planet to planet. I think in the game they relied on that being like a intercom communication. Uh, and, and given the fact that the, the game tended to just pull cutscenes straight from the movie and show that, I'm surprised that they didn't do that in a couple of other instances just to help build the cohesion of it a little bit more. Well, that's interesting. I, I get what you're saying, especially with the Galactic Rangers, but I didn't have any issue with the way that they were used in the story in the Ratchet & Clank game. I thought, I mean, it felt like Bioshock storytelling to me with a lot of the intercom mm-hmm. conversations. Uh, but I I didn't take any umbrage with that, and I didn't think it was done any better in the movie. John, am I crazy, or are you with me here? I agree with you. I think that the movie falls because it takes... I mean, we can, well, I guess we're just going to transition to that. <laughs> the, movie, right? I, 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 the storytelling in the game is fantastic to me because it lets you keep doing what you want to do in the game. Like, I don't need these big, long cutscenes, right? I like a little funny snippet. Show me a little bit. Show me Quark feeling bad, right, as we <laughs> walk by because he's trading it, right? Great. That's all I need. I need the beats. Now, let me use the Sheepinator and let me blow somebody up with, like, you know, the Rhino. And let me have fun destroying enemies and, and collecting bolts because that's what I'm here to do. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the movie was better at storytelling than the game. I just thought that it was interesting that there were, like, upon watching the movie, like, a couple of different things that it's like, well, that... It would have taken maybe another, like, 20 seconds to show that little bit, and it just helps to make it a much more cohesive story overall. Um, Granted, it could have been something where both were being developed and created at the same time, and so you're going to have some things deviate maybe a little bit more um, between the two functions. Um, but uh, but I don't know. It, 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 it just struck me as a little interesting. I still think that the the, the story in the game is is vastly superior. So don't don't get me wrong on that. Um, I also think that they, they did a good job in that game of having interesting planets all that stuff being interesting and all of that is driven like why you're going to the places is driven by like what the bad guys are doing and what you're trying to do to thwart them and and so like it it sort of builds this nice cohesive through line and i'm guessing that that's probably what a lot of the ratchet and clink games were like even before that one um but it's just a good formula for like okay i know why i'm going here i know i'm going here um and i think drek and um Dr. Nefarious and this whole, like, setting up Drek as the main villain, and then, oh, nope, <laughs> it's not Drek. Uh, I think they do a really good job with that as well. So one thing I did want to mention before we started to shift away from 2016, right, is, boy, have trophies changed, and <laughs> do not ever try and, like, 
complete this game as like a perfectionist. Like, cause that's what I was trying to do. I was like, great, I'm coming back. I collected all the cards. I played it all through again. Right. And then I'm like, okay, here's all these dumb hidden things. And it's like, use the disco dance thing on every enemy, but it doesn't track which enemies are what you dance. Like, like there was so many dumb things. I spent so much time getting like the trophies for the races on underneath time. And this, and I was like, and just threw my hands up at like some of the crazy ones. So it was interesting to see, you know, in six years, how trophies have shifted. Right. Mm-hmm. So as compare these two games it's really interesting to see what six years in game development really actually ate you know because they probably started making this in 2014 or whatever it was and how that shifted into like oh no now trophies are like actual fun things to do mm-hmm. for the most part and they're not just like here's this thing that guess what you missed it so you get to play the whole game again mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no the trophies in the 2016 game are like hard trophies to get like there are so many of them that you could miss and and like you said like trying to make sure that you use the dancing machine on every single enemy it literally is something that you could only do in challenge mode because there's probably a couple of enemies that you don't face until or you face before you actually get that weapon so you need to have it to start a new gameplay and play through every single one and just make sure you throw that out there every time and that's not necessarily a fun way to play the game. Whereas, um, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about Rift Apart. Uh, I think their trophy list is phenomenal. It's it's definitely a lot more manageable, um, which, you know, maybe biases someone a little bit because it's like, I can get them easier. But uh, I think it does a better job of making you engage with the game in a fun way um, than a more fun way than in this one where it's like, hey, punish yourself. <laughs> go and 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 inflate and yourself raw to try to get these trophies that are really hard to achieve. <laughs> you guys and your trophy hunting. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the characters in Ratchet and Clank Remake. Ratchet and Clank are the two main characters. Then there are three Galactic Rangers who apparently had a more important role um, in future games than they did in the first game. Um, until the remake, there are two antagonists and Chairman Drex and Dr. Nefarious and a couple other good guys helping along the way. Which characters stood out to us? Burns, you were drawn to Quark. Yeah, Quark, Quark was a lot of fun in this game. Um, like the fact that, cause I've, I remember seeing him before in passing cause you know, I, I mean, I've paid attention to games forever. So I remember seeing Captain Quark. And then the fact that he's a prisoner right away at the start of the game, you're like, huh, I thought this guy was a hero. What's he doing here? And then you just find out he's a buffoon, basically. And and, and listening to him tell the story of Ratchet uh, is it, it is super fun. And, and like you were saying earlier, it's just it's just a great it's a great way to tell a story because you start to second guess. Is he actually telling it this way? Like you said, Tom, it's it's just it's just a really cool way to do it. And then you have the prisoner that he's telling the story to sometimes correcting him and being like, that's not how I went. I'm the one telling the story, you know. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that was great. Uh, I also I forgot about the guy until John mentioned it. But the scientist that you find and it's like, I'm going to collect all of these brains for him and I know he's not going to use them for something good. Like, I know that, but I still want to collect them because I want to collect all the things and get all the shiny stuff he's going to give me. But it's just funny to see him, like, continue to go down this maniacal path. Uh, And it would be funny if if there were to be a continuation of that game 
like to see him be like a main boss in one of the future games because hey, you collected all these brains for this guy and now he's doing these dastardly things and you knew he was doing it but you just had to grab him, you know. I forget which tool that he gave you. Uh, there was some tangible reward that you wanted for all those. Brains. Was it the box you, breaker? No, you had to. You had to. It was part of a mission where you had to go to that planet, and he gave you. Yeah, he gave you some tool you needed to like do something like an actual like plot point tool, and then like you can keep collecting brains, and he just gives you rare tokens. But yeah, I forget what the actual plot. I swear was. there was uh, something better than raritanium. But John, turning to you, you were drawn to one of the antagonists. Dude, Nefarious. Nefarious is the best. Nefarious is just like, like, just one, you get to see like his origin, right? And like, he's just completely insane, right? He just comes in and eats all the scenery the best type of villain where he's just mm-hmm. over the top and just a jerk and his dialogue is awesome and just every time he's on he's just like i just want to watch his scenes because they're great right so he is like yeah, i love nefarious and yeah we've talked about the brain guy he's my favorite like non-big character in here just because it's just funny it's like i just love his whole thing like i need all these brains to make this super weapon or i'm gonna do because Gary stole my lunch. He's like, <laughs> Gary, I'm coming after you now. And I just like those little side things in the game flesh out that universe and make it fun, right? Finding skid marks, which I mean, like the naming of these guys is, is awesome, right? But finding his manager and then the manager like being the shady guy, right? The back, the uh, like the back alley rhino dealer. Right, so you got to bring the card set too, so you can get him to build you a rhino. But don't tell anybody I built it for you. Right, <laughs> those guys, I love all those side characters. They're fun. So here's another thing that they explain in the movie, but I don't remember it from the game. Um, in the game, does it make it apparent that Doctor Nefarious used to work with the Galactic Rangers? No, not at all. No, so not at all. Was that ever something from any of the games previously? Well, let me start with this point. Dr. Nefarious wasn't in the original game. He didn't come in until the third mainline entry in the series, and they brought him in at this point in the remake. Got it. Okay. That's a, literally everything I know about Dr. Nefarious. Because that, that was one other tidbit that was in the movie that I didn't remember them saying ever in the game. It's just like, well, I mean, if they're making that canon with the movie, why isn't that something that they say in the game? Because that just gives you a little bit more of a connection to that. I guess part of it's because the Alaris character is rarely in the game too. Um, and so maybe because there's that commonality between those two since she kind of took over for him. But uh, that was another thing that was a little weird to me that they, they go into detail of showing that aspect of Nefarious, which is also interesting because in Rift Apart, like they go out of their way to make you almost feel bad for Dr. Nefarious in multiple ways. And it's like, oh, you could have started setting that seed at this point by by giving that little detail. No, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I'm oh, sorry. I, I think they were trying to bring in, you know, you're doing a reboot, right? Mm-hmm. Of you said like nine originals, six spin-offs, all this content. And they're like, all right, what are the best things about all of them? Best weapons, best villains. Right, so how do we reboot the franchise and introduce Ratchet and Clank to a new generation on PS4, right? But bring in the coolest villains right away. And I think they did an excellent job of that, right? They took that plot of the original and they said, okay, yeah, 
Drax is doing this stuff instead. But what if we then change it up and let's switch it and have Drax be an idiot and get turned into a sheep? And then <laughs> Nefarious is the mastermind behind it all. Well, let's, you know, I, I thought that was cool. Let's jump into our overall impressions and final takeaways. I want to start with this point because I think I feel very strongly about it. This is the best way to play old games. Burns, I think we can get into a little bit here because I know you have a lot of appreciation for the development of games and like where they have come from and you like to play a lot of historical old RPGs. I have no time or patience for old games. Mm -hmm. This is how I want to play old content. I want it remixed and like modernized and just super fun. Like it's a little bit it's a little bit sad that they change things and like I, I felt a little sad that they changed things, but then with John saying they just brought in the, like the best parts and like made it the best that it can be. Like this is how I want to enjoy any old content moving forward. I think both ways are fine. So for instance, if we look at you know one of my favorite series of all time, one of your favorite series of all time, um, Final Fantasy. I mean, you can go back and play the original NES version of Final Fantasy One. You can play the updated by a bit like PlayStation era version of Final Fantasy 1, and you can play the Pixel Remaster, and each one of them subsequently makes a lot of like makes a lot of efficiencies in the game so that you can play it a lot faster. I think there's value in playing all of the versions and sort of seeing what are the pieces that stay in there all the way through them, because that's the DNA of that game then. And then what are the things that they tweaked and what would be the reasons why they tweaked that? I, I think that stuff is fascinating because you can see still like what the initial developer's main intent was. Um, but then you also see what they think are what would be better for this going forward. And in this game, you know, introducing probably the big, big, big bad earlier on because they want to focus things on Dr. Nefarious um, makes sense. Uh, it would be interesting to play some of the early Ratchet and Clank games to get an idea of what it was like without that, you know, awesome main bad guy just to see, like, what was it that was their initial idea and what are the reasons maybe why they pivoted away from that. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, definitely the controls are so much better in this probably than they were on the PS2. And so from a gameplay perspective, I'm sure it is a thousand percent the better way to play the games. And certainly. Also, the weapon upgrade system, which we haven't really talked about, but it's a really well done weapon upgrade system. It's one of my most, it's one of my favorite mechanics in the game. You spend both uh, your in-game currency and a resource that you find around the world to upgrade your different weapons, and you also level them up as you use them more. That came from the second Ratchet and Clank game. That wasn't a part of the original, so I'm, I am very thankful that they modernized this in some ways, because that system is awesome and smooth and works really well and is super satisfying, and I'm just... I'm glad that for my first Ratchet and Clank experience, it was kind of a hodgepodge of like all the highlights of the series. I will say that I agree. These sorts of like reboot remakes are a great way to replay old games, right? Fantastic way to walk in, especially when you talk like PS1, PS2 era, right? That's a rough spot mm -hmm. in gaming history because we're just getting it. PS2 is a little better. PS1 definitely like polygons are tough, man. <laughs> right um i watched some old footage of all the ratchet clanks and like kind of was just like what where did this go right and like why did they like because i wanted to see the history of it before i got into the remake and then replayed rift apart and it was really interesting to watch gameplay of like that first ratchet and clank that they pulled this from and i'm like man this is rough 
<laughs> right? <laughs> and it was their first go around. The character models were PS2 character models. The, the weapons, all this stuff. It was much more slimmed down and not streamlined. Like, yeah, way tougher to play, right? So I think that, you know, a lot of times companies can just take a game and they can just slap a coat of paint on it, up-res it, say, here you go. Hey, I'm looking at you, GTA San Andreas, right? <laughs> uh, remaster, right? right? It's a cash grab, right? And kudos to Insomniac for basically saying, hey, we love this franchise. We're going to take care of it. We're going to you know, make something new, right? And have it have that nostalgia. So like, if you did come all the way through, awesome. Oh, I remember this. I remember that. I remember this. To me, this is... This is like Insomniac doing what Final Fantasy VII Reboot did, right, for Final Fantasy VII. They did the same thing with this game, right? It's that same sort of love and attention to say, let's make something awesome, right, about something that so many of our fans love. I think it's uh, coming from my perspective of this being the first game that I've played in the franchise uh, with the collectibles of the cards I think it also did a fantastic job of paying homage to all of the things that happened in in all of the games. They had a card pack of three cards each for every single game, and then some of the other like main characters that pop up throughout the different games. And, and I think it was really cool to see them show that, because for people who have played all those other games, it was probably good. Oh, I saw this, I saw that. For me, you know, because, I mean, I, I have a problem. I need to get all of the things if I can, and I need to look at all of them. So as soon as I got a card, I read it. I got an idea of what it was about. There were things to read on those cards? You flip them and you see, like, oh. a little bit of story about the weapon or the person, uh, which I thought was which I thought was cool. And so that's how I first found out that there's the three different Zircons and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I just looked at the picture and said, oh, cool. Did I get my bonus? Oh, nuts. <laughs> But uh, what was also really interesting about that is, like, I read about Pierre, and then Pierre, they make a big deal about him at the beginning of Rift Apart, and then you see, like, this weird sort of Pepe Le Pew version of him in in uh, in the uh, other dimension in the game, and it's like, I mean, I got a little bit of a grounding in that character. He wasn't in 2016 at all. But I got a little bit of a grounding from the card, and I knew that he was somewhat important um, to the games that he was in. So it wasn't a surprise seeing him pop up at the beginning of that game and seeing him be kind of a somewhat important character um, when we when we got into Rift Apart. Uh, so I think that that was also a way that they did a good job of like preparing maybe new players for here's this vast array of characters that we've created. Um, that we're gonna go back to the well and bring out to you. Um, and I think I think that was also a really a cool thing that they did with those collectibles to to kind of catch people up that maybe didn't play those games. But overall, I think 2016 was really good. It did a good job of getting me excited to play Rift Apart after that. Um, and so I'm super glad that I started with that. Yeah, I am too, and I'm, we texted back and forth quite a bit as we were playing through these games. One of the things you said that I thought that was interesting was that it doesn't really break any new ground. It's mm -hmm. not like it's not revolutionizing video games in any ways, but it's so polished and it's so tight and it's just so fun and funny and 
just a wonderfully polished experience. It's it's a great jumping on point for the franchise, even if you've never played another Ratchet and Clank game. I'll even argue it's more polished than Rift Apart, but we can talk about that when we get there. Oh, I can't wait. You know, after playing all this Ratchet and Clank, I decided half the like proof that Ratchet could actually hold all these weapons, right? He's pulling them out out of nowhere. Where are they coming from? He has to have, you know, let's Mythbusters this up. So it turns out I put one too many Sheepinators into my backpack, and now I haven't been able to sit straight for weeks. Any thoughts on where I could go to get that fixed up? Oh, John, you should check out Premier Health. They have a solution for back pain, neck pain, car accident, sheep gun-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN, as in Minnesota.com. Now we're going to jump into Tom Awesome's Top 5. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. For our Top 5 today, I'm going to rank the 5 best weapons I've used in the series so far. That works. You, get, you guys ready for this? Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, have, I have thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good list. Number five. Number five is the Pyrocitor from 2016. Flamethrower. Yeah. Flamethrower is like the Thomas to the Tom weapons. There's <laughs> literally no chance from the moment I got that gun that it wasn't going to be on this list. And it wasn't my fla- favorite flamethrower in games. It was a touch inaccurate for me, but it was the first gun that I got to level five, the first gun that I fully upgraded, and just it was fun. Yeah. Whenever I got the when I whenever I was up against the ooze dudes. It would come out because it was just like, I don't know, it's probably not the most effective against them, but it just feels fun to throw a bunch of flames on some oozes. And also, uh, if you upgraded it, you got more raritanium. So it was like, well, I need more raritanium. Yes. So I'm just going to burn these things. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the goo dudes because I used number four buzz blades on them. Mm -hmm. Buzz blades are like saw blades that shoot out of your gun and they will bounce and keep hitting enemies. And they were in both games, actually. And I thought they were a blast. I I thought they were a novelty in 2016. I thought they were a crucial part of the arsenal in Rift Apart. So I see chip damage as a part of your gameplay. I'm going (laughs) to just slowly chip away at the enemy. And see, I play this game differently. Where I'm like, give me the big boom, right? <laughs> so, like, it's Warmonger. It's grenades. It's like, I'm just going to, like, you know, I only got 12 shots, but it's got to hit you once and you're dead. So, I hated cool the grenades. Weapons, but I wanted to put them even on my list. I hated the grenades in both games. Like, they pack a bit of a punch, yeah, but they're imprecise. They're aiming in the frenetic action of combat. Like, they were a little imprecise for my taste. And I just, I never used the grenades very much. Number three, the cold snap. This is such a fun novelty gun. Like basically you launch an ice cube in a little arc and if it hits enemies or lands near enemies, it'll freeze them in place. And that became a crucial part of my Rift Apart strategy. This game, this gun was only in Rift Apart, but I thought it was just such a fun, wacky, wonky thing. And then to just run up and like if you upgraded it some more too, if you run up and smash them, it'll shoot ice damage out at other enemies too. And that was super effective at dealing with crowds at times, too. Yeah, I'd use the cold snap and then the uh, drill drill hound, which mm-hmm. does like an explosive effect and can hit multiple enemies. That was one of my go-to combos for a while until they hit level five. 
Number two for me, the Glove of Doom. A, it's got a killer name. Like that's just fun. Uh, B, it summons these little uh, mousers from like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the mousers will go attack your enemies for you. Fun stuff. I love this. I love yeah. I love this weapon. And then like when you upgrade it enough, they jump, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually, when you upgrade that, and then like oh now there's more of them, right? And then now they can jump, right? Because and one thing if you just you guys may have just played through like. This is your first time through. You play through in challenge mode. You get a whole five more levels of the guns. Oh, you get your sweet. Omega weapons. So then the guns actually change a little bit. Sometimes they like, uh, like you know, the like, the sheepinator turns into the goatinator. And <laughs> I'm not sure if it's Rift Apart or if it's in. I think it's actually in uh, 2016. But yeah, it's it's like they get even better. So then the the little glove of doom is awesome. It's I had. Better. I had literally no idea that challenge mode allowed you to level your guns up more. Yeah. Like, I am even more intrigued in jumping back in now. For me, honorable mention, first one is the Sheepinator. It was, the concept of this is great. You shoot your enemy, and you hold the little beam on them for a little while, and then they turn into a sheep. Hilarious. (laughs) Such a funny thing. But in practicality, there's a lot of frenetic action in these games, and it was just hard for me to find times to pull out the Sheepinator and keep that beam going without getting blasted by enemies. Um, super fun concept, but a hard gun to level and just a hard thing to practically use in combat. Unless you use it on the like slimes and like the little one hit enemies, it's so fun. So when you'd have those things where like there's like a bunch of slimes or a bunch of those dogs running at you, you just pull the sheep sheepnator out and you would just like go left and right, and then now you have like fifty sheep on the screen, <laughs> right? So there's fun to be had with it, right? Especially if you can level it up, and it doesn't take any ammo. So it's a great like backup, like, oh my gosh, I'm out of ammo. Now I can just sheepinator everything. Sheepinator. Also, Dr. Nefarious' favorite weapon. <laughs> my other honorable mention is the Negatron Collider, which basically shoots out like an Iron Man beam out of a gun. And it's just a powerful straight line of energy that I use an awful lot and rift, rift apart. Before I get into my number one, did you guys want to mention any of your favorite weapons that aren't on my list? Aside from my number one, Groovatron. the Groovatron, man, that was like, a complete oversight. That should have taken the place of Buzzblades for me. That is the the Groovatron was the number one. Like when you get into a tough spot in challenge mode, it's just Groovatron. Oh, what do I do? I throw like three Groovatrons around and nothing can move because they're all dancing. And every enemy has a different dance animation. So it actually, well, we talked about that trophy being a pain. Mm-hmm. It's fun to try and get because it's fun to see, well, how is this person going to dance? How is this enemy going to dance? And every boss has a different dance animation. So it's a lot of fun to use. To me, it would have probably been my number two just because it's fun. And it's a great crowd control. Yeah, it is very fun. <laughs> yeah, it would it would have been high up on my list as well. That and because I used it all the time. And then it's spiritual successor and Rift Apart, the topiary sprinkler. Um, I use that all the time, too, because it's just like, I'm just going to freeze things for a little bit so I can get an idea of how I want to, like, go forward. Um, and both of them were fantastic at doing that. Yeah, the topiary sprinkler was a lot of fun. That was a another important part of my combos in Rift Apart when paired with Mr. Fungi. I For number one, I did two weapons that are basically do the same thing. It's Mr. Zircon and Mr. Fungi. Uh, fun guy? Fun guy. Fun guy. Yeah, Mr. Fun Guy. This is a fun guy. Basically, either one will summon a little companion that flies around with you and shoots your enemies. And they are just absolutely crucial in these frenetic battles to help you whittle away these 
waves of enemies. Yeah. And now, so when you played with Mr. Zircon, did you get little Zircon? Yes. And uh, Mr. Zircon also keeps a running commentary throughout the game in 2016. And he is very, very funny. Yeah. The, that's the best part of Mr. Zircon is he follows you around for a set amount of time. And if there's no enemies, is that he's like, he's talking smack to you. Like Mr. Zircon demands bloodshed. (laughs) Right. Or Mr. Zircon Uh, is bored. Yeah. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. Well, what did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Tom Sidlachik OIO on the Twitter machine. Next up, we move on to our second main topic, the movie. <laughs> the movie. Don't laugh at anything in the show notes. This is a very serious ex- exercise. In 2016, the unfortunate Ratchet and Clank movie released, directed by Kevin Monroe and Jerrica Cleland. Now, Monroe of note wrote and directed the 2007 box office smash tmnt mm-hmm. and john i know you're a big turtles guy with me too i it's been a long time since i saw tmnt but if i remember my impressions correctly i thought that it was a huge letdown i was that the one with the cool scene where they're going down the mountain and they just really crazy camera shots or was that no, 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 no. out of the shadows that that's bruckheimer junkie live action tmnt right i think the 2007 one is an animated nickelodeon and that's uh, the one. I, I think it's the one where, like, the, I think I've seen that. I don't know. Like, it, I, but like, I'm they're pretty all, sure that it's. Yeah. I thought there were two movies thinking. that came out in like late 2000s, early 2010s. It was I thought it was TMNT and uh, TMNT Out of the Shadows. But those were Michael Bay movies, so I guess maybe I have no idea what TMNT is. And. Uh, <laughs> Great, this is just a terrific show. Uh, but, that, <laughs> but but he directed it. He wrote and directed that film. Yeah. Cleland was co-director on Ratchet and Clank. She has not directed another film. She has directed some TV shows, but it was a really inexperienced directing team. This movie has a 29 on Metacritic. <laughs> a 29. I openly loathe this movie throughout the experience. I think 29 as an aggregate score is a touch on the low side. A touch on the low side. And Burns, sometimes we'll get into it about the value of a Metacritic. But, yeah. like, I mean, it shows that this movie was not well received. And, frankly, I didn't think it was very good. The movie follows the story of the game remake, which also released in 2016. Ratchet and Clank meet. They try to take down Drex and Nefarious. And it's missing, completely missing the narration from Quark in prison. This movie follows the story of the remake, which was really fun. Why did this movie struggle so much? Joey, let's start with you here. I, it, I, so, like, this movie, it's like an hour and a half, but I, I could not watch it in one sitting. Like, I watched it, I think, in three different sessions of 30-minute increments because I would just get so bored. And it's like, I'm not paying attention to what's happening now, so I just need to turn this off. I, I don't know. Like, it's so bad. And one quick clarification. Did you watch this while you were playing the remake? No. After you played the remake? I or? watched it after I played the remake. Me too. Um, and I started it before I played Rift Apart and slowly watched it over three sessions while I was playing Rift Apart. John, was this experience any better for you? Because uh, Burns and I are on the same same bus over here. So I am notorious for like, look, I'll watch it. And I will find something good about it, even if it's horrible. I will laugh at it, and like this is bad. It, this just seemed mediocre. 
right? I, and I wouldn't say it's like the worst movie ever, but it was just mediocre, especially considering I've played the game, mm-hmm. right? I've played the game. I, I feel like it actually looked, takes, takes one of the weaker points and story point of the game and blows it out into a full movie. Right. You get a little bit in the beginning of like Ratchet trying to join the guys. Right. But then they focus the whole point on just one part of the actual game. And you miss what's actually fun about a Ratchet playing game is let's bop around all these other different worlds and see all this different stuff. And now we're just doing just the one mission. And trying to trying to clarify a little bit, it focuses on Chairman Drex and his deplanetizer trying to blow up planets to take pieces of them to make a new homeworld for the Drex. Correct. Correct. And you're just doing the part with, you know, where you're just like, oh, where you're breaking in. Right. You're not doing all the fun. Like, let's go get all the stuff we need to like go in and break in and do all this stuff. And like, let's go ahead. Like, you know, they have the failure point, but then it comes back. It's not as good as the game. It tells the same story, but it just kind of says, well, let's focus on jamming some fun, like movie scenes in because well we got to show all these fun crazy weapons so let's have this fun crazy weapon scene and we got to show this sort of thing so let's have this scene over here and you just don't have the the cool set pieces that insomniac creates to go through and play in i think the critical failure of this movie is that it failed to show the development of the relationship between the two titular characters. Like, Ratchet and Clank coexisted in the same space, but, like, they don't go through anything together. They don't really do anything together. At different points in the game, like, you rely on Ratchet for most of the action, but it's interspersed with little parts where Clank is the star of the show. And I never got that feeling that they actually worked together, grew together, even enjoyed being around each other in the movie. Like, they just, they seemed like, Two random coworkers from like different departments of a giant corporation mm-hmm. that just happened to like walk into the meeting room at the same time. It, it, it was like the writers had just watched Civil War and they're like, okay, Ratchet and Clank need to have a beef through this entire movie almost. And we have to keep them as- separated for most of it. And then once they're together, like we just don't get any banter between them, you know, and, and really. I don't. Are there that many parts of the movie where Clank's on Ratchet's back and they're like doing something together? They're always like separated, and that happens in the game some, but otherwise they come back together to beat baddies like that. They need to work together because they're better together than they are apart. Like that's the whole like gist of Ratchet and Clank. So fair to say that this movie just failed to capture the heart of the game. I agree, right? And that's an interesting point that you made, Joey. Like the, you. And I think that's because it's a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Look, it's you can't have it's Ratchet and Clank, the movie, right? So you can't and you're not like going to go like watch it from third person where you can see Clank on the back of Ratchet because you can't see Ratchet's face and vice versa. So now you have to separate these two. And yeah, they created that riff. And really, like, Clank is supposed to be like almost like the Jiminy Cricket. He's <laughs> the conscience of Ratchet to some degree, right? And in earlier games, they like, like Ratchet was a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. And like they actually had to tone him down, right? So Clank has always been kind of like you know the the, the conscience, and like they do that in that so great in that one scene, and it kind of they, well, I think the scene's the same cut scene in the movie in the game, but I love that part where you know Ratchet's like uh, I'm done, right? And he's back at the home mm-hmm. world and he's fixing up ships and again, and I'm done. He's like, are you really though? And Clank comes in and like them to go right that it needed more of that 
instead of I'm working with the nerds. Oh, nerds. And then, but yeah, we're the jocks. We're the pros with the guns. <laughs> nerds go over here, right? Like, uh, why? You don't need to do that. So uh, one funny thing that I noticed when I was playing and getting the collectibles I was talking about in the 2016 game, uh, I noticed that his boss in the garage, that that was the first game that he was in. And it was just like, okay, well, so it's important that he's here, but why doesn't he say anything? And then in the movie, like the moment he first talks, it's just like, that's John Goodman. So it's probably that they didn't want to pay John Goodman to have his voice in the game. So that's why Grimlock doesn't say anything in the game. And it's just, I thought that was just a funny little anecdote that was a difference between <laughs> between the game and the movie also. Well, he does speak in like the first scene. Like he tells Ratchet to go to the fair. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. That could be then. And eventually <clears throat> he tells Ratchet to like go find his brother. Does he? I don't think so. Because I thought, I, I thought he didn't say anything. I thought... Like, Ratchet decided to just go to the thing because he saw it on TV in the game. Now, I'm pretty sure that uh, the father figure dude from the garage tells him to go seek out his brother on that planet. I, I guess I don't I don't yeah. remember that for sure. It could be that could be the case. I have a terrible memory, so and I am a steel trap. <laughs> well, let's let's move on with this film. Was there anything enjoyable about this experience? Yeah, I mean, so don't get me wrong. I don't think this is the worst movie I've ever seen, like by any stretch of the imagination, but it was just dull and forgettable. Um, some of the things I did like the voice work overall is really good. Paul Giamatti does a fantastic job as chairman Drek. I think like, I, I like, and granted I'm kind of a Paul Giamatti fan, or at least I was back when he was kind of in his heyday. Uh, and so I, like I have an affinity for him and his voice. So I think that was really good. And, uh, I think in general, they get really good voice acting out of like real actors and then mixing that with people that seem to be much better at voice acting, like Dr. Nefarious and the person who's doing Ratchet's voice. Uh, I, I think I think overall, like they did. A, that's like one of the standout pieces of the movie. It's just unfortunate that there wasn't a little bit better stuff like bringing that all together to make it a little bit more interesting story. Hey, and I'll second Giamatti. Right. He was great. I think the voice actor did Drek in the game. Fantastic uh, Giamatti doppelganger. Right. It is hard. Like, I, I, I was like, wow, did they have? I looked it up to see, like, did Giamatti do the voice in the game, too? And he didn't. Right. Um, but, boy, that guy was spot on. And, I mean, Nefarious is still awesome. It's great to see a little bit more of his backstory. All that stuff is fun. And, you know, when this came out, my kids were five and three four and three right right around in there so it was a great fun movie that i could watch with them and then they could say watch daddy play this game right so if you're a parent right you can it's kind of that fun like well i can show you this thing and then like you can then see like now let's go shoot the sheep in it and they're like oh cool right so that's a fun thing too about it so did your kids actually enjoy the movie though because that was one thing i was curious about it didn't seem like there was enough like action to really keep a kid engaged in this movie now that you mention it i think they got bored <laughs> i actually I, I, I do think they got bored but they were you know five and four six right. and five i'm not sure if we watched it right when it came out or whatever came out right so yeah who are these characters the 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 cool thing was these are the characters from the video game that dad has on this PlayStation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right. Most of the games that I play for OIO, like I keep away from my children, but this is one, uh, Ratchet and Clank, the 2016 remake that I allowed my daughter to hang out with me while I played. Like, uh, our younger daughter would take a nap and Daisy and I would go downstairs, play some Ratchet and Clank. She'd be on the sticks for a little bit. She'd get stuck on a wall or keep falling off a ledge and I'd get back on the sticks. And she just, she really liked the, uh, the water planet. And she, every time we come downstairs, she's like, can we play the Ratchet game? Can we go, can we go to the beach? <laughs> funny um high points from the film i thought the animation was really good like i agree the voice acting was really good it's also it looked visually it looked stunning it was a terrific looking film and unfortunately that was literally the only good thing i have to say about it (laughs) so i pivot to this why don't video game movies work john i know you have an exception well you've seen mortal kombat right i've seen it totally worked I've seen 1990s Mortal Kombat. Are you referring to that That's Mortal what I'm Kombat? About. I am actually. I would say the newest Mortal Kombat kind of works too. It's all in the, you know, how you view it. But like I said, I'm kind of a biased guy. I like all movies, and I can take joy in junk, right? But you know, Mortal Kombat was fun and it worked. But for like you know, 16 year old me or 15 year old me, whatever came out, but they fail because they're taking an interactive media and they're making it non-interactive. Mm-hmm. Right. When you take a book and you turn it into a movie, you have a somewhat similar. Form, right. You're telling a story. Right. The difficulty there is, well, look, I can make the character look however I want in my head. And then if you cast someone that I don't think is that character, boo, this movie's horrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like that. Or like I imagine this scene that go this way and it's not. So uh, with a video game, you lose, though, all the gameplay. Right. You lose. So you have like you lose one thing from a book where like, oh, all the things I create in my head, and the stories that I create while I'm playing the game. Right. You lose all that. Right. And you shorten the overall experience as well. Ratchet and Clank's a 15, 20 hour experience. And now you have to say, well, in order for me to tell the story, I pull out this one crucial piece and I focus just on. That, right. And that to me is why video game movies fail video game tv series can succeed castlevania Mm -hmm. well and castlevania like doesn't really try to mirror the games that much at all like you have a belmont and you have dracula and you have alucard but it's not doing the same situations from as far as i know any of the games i don't know that much about like I'm not I don't know in depth Castlevania lore, but it it takes a step back and does its own thing with those characters, but stays true to that style. I think that's adapting something is hard. Like trying to make something that other people know from something else is really hard. And that's because you you gotta know what to take from that and where you can take liberties with that. And how to stay true to it when you do take liberties from the original like version of it, adapting, adapting books into movies or TV shows run into some of those same problems. And I think with video games, video game fans are hardcore fans of the things that they like. And if you change one little thing, 
you know that at least one of those people, usually tens of thousands of those people are going to be up in arms because you change that one thing and they instantly hate it. And that makes it really difficult to make a good video game into a good anything else. I mean, is that just the nerd rage that binds our people? Like, our people who are not connected to video games, comic books, that connected to any sort of source material that can't be adapted? Or is it because we lose what we feel is a sense of agency, specifically in the case of games, that, you know, when I play Saints Row, I am, I take an over-the-top character and an over-the-top story, and I tomify the mm-hmm. bejeebers out of it. And, you know, if there were a Saints Row movie, it couldn't possibly have all the rockets that I include in my experience because it just wouldn't make any freaking sense to anyone else on Earth. Fandom. It's not video games. It's fandom, right? Like, look, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, right? We're not going to talk about The Hobbit talk. <laughs> but Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, Oscar-winning, amazing films did it right. Nerds still flip out because Tom Bombadil's not in here. Where the he- where's Tom Bombadil? Tom and Bombadil's not. This, 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 this is not good. This is not good. No, don't, horrible, right? Don't forget you, when the- you love something that much and it's like your thing, right? And also, it's your thing because it, it was cool. I, I liked it before. I was it was cool. Mm-hmm. That also hits hard, and that's where people get defensive and they say, "No, no you didn't do it right." You bring up Tom Bombadil. Don't you dare forget about my beloved Faramir and the change they made with his character. It took me over a decade to watch The Return of the King because of how frustrated I was with the two towers. <laughs> See? See? So it's it's not just video games. It's just source material and fandom around that and like ad- adaption is hard, right? But see, you bring up an interesting point with like Saints Row, right? Because they made a Saints Row movie and it's called New Guy. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, free that's guy. Essentially, a saint. That's a, a free guy. Thank you. That's essentially Saints Row the movie, right? Yeah. Because there's really no that, but it, it kind of is. It, yeah. it proves that, like, it proves that when you make, <laughs> you can make a great video game movie, right? War Games, Free Guy. Uh, Pretty short list you got there, John. That might be it. That Detective be Pikachu, it. Sonic, uh, Sonic Two. Uh, ready? I I will throw out Ready Player One as a maybe. It's a fun nostalgia bomb. Right, Last Starfighter. You guys did this. You did Wreck-It this uh, podcast. <laughs> See, um, and we're doing right? it again in uh, November, October, Sometime. October. You yeah. can you can make a fun movie about video games, but it's really really hard to make a great video game movie because of the things we've said and i feel like uh i feel like it's a no-win proposition like yeah there's some name recognition there but i feel like creators if they try to retell a story that's already been told in a video game format looking at tomb raider specifically they very much retold the restory of the reboot i'm like this didn't break any new ground this wasn't Mm -hmm. very interesting despite loving the franchise despite loving the casting as laura croft like that movie was just an abomination it was horrible. The the most recent uh, yeah. Tomb Raider movie? Yeah. I, I, With I, actually, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was horrible. I mean, it wasn't a phenomenal movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was fine. Um, it's, it's interesting also. So more recently, uh, Resident Evil has been getting uh, a, a new movie and a, and a new TV series. And they took 
two very different approaches with those two things. The new movie, Welcome to Raccoon City, supposedly (laughs) it tries to be so much like the video game and it does like the first three games all at once. Uh, in like the first like half hour of the movie, uh, I haven't seen it. I've heard, and I'm not a huge Resident Evil fan, but I've heard that it's just so crazy how much of like references to the games that they just packed into the beginning of that movie. Um, and then you have the TV series, which is like 20 years into the future, and it's about Albert Wesker's two kids. Like trying to live and and like figure out their way through new Raccoon City in like 2036 or some crap like that. And and it's funny because internet rage about it instantly was just like, what the heck? Who who the heck is Jade Wesker? That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. And then it's funny because I was looking at a Facebook group post about it today. When, like, people were like, uh, I was instantly like, I don't think this is going to be good. But after I watched it, it's like, yeah, it's not that bad, you know? Because they took and, like, they distanced themselves from anything that the game has done. And, sure, they took maybe a wonky choice is to focus on, like, kind of the main villain that keeps popping up through a lot of those games and his, like, kids. Um, But, I don't know. Like, it's really difficult to make anything about video games or anything that people like like John was saying are like intense fans of it is so hard to do anything with those things oh I, and I was just gonna say you know Resident Evil is like the Resident Evil games are horrible too like I mean like <laughs> let me yeah. rephrase that Story hold, wise, on, yes. hold on like I love the Resident Evil games but like the actual plotting and narrative yeah. of the Resident Evil games is convoluted and bad especially you know the the dialogue of like jill sandwich and all these uh-huh. things from the first ones and they've gotten way better obviously yeah. but like they're known for their b-movie cheesiness yeah right and that like fans are like all up in arms like this isn't the real resident Evil. like guys like <laughs> West, you know uh, the first ones that came out with mila jolovich weren't like oscar winning material here let's dial it back mm-hmm. after having a moment to think about it I really loathe your comparison of Free Guy to a Saints Row movie. <laughs> yeah, well, he kind of exists within a Saints Row game framework, but I, I don't like the comparison, and I don't know, I can't articulate my thoughts. So uh, you're wrong but and it, dumb, it, and we're not friends good, anymore. It's a good example, right? Again, when you look at good video games, I thought of more Detective Pikachu. That's a great movie. Watch it with my kids. Super fun. And it's not just because it has Ryan Reynolds in it as well, right? It's just, hey, let's take the world of Pokemon and let's do something fun with it. That isn't like Ash Ketchum running around doing Pokemon battles, right? Uh, You look at other game-based movies, right? Clue, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Clue is one of the best movies of all time. And it was ahead of its time and, like, crazy and, like, had four different endings that they – playing in different theaters so like if your buddy saw it in theater a and you thought saw it in theater b mr green like you know different people were dead and like it's amazing that's right? fascinating they did that i didn't realize that they actually did that i uh, i've seen all the endings because i think in the like home release or when they run on tv now they show you all the endings yep. i had no idea they ran different endings in different venues that's yes. crazy when they did it to different theaters they, like it wasn't like they did that every theater had different endings. i think eventually they let said they did that and they showed all of them at the theater but like originally they did like nope this is this ending 
and this is this ending. Let's That's smart. Board game, right? And like, if you do it right, it can be done great, right? Like, I haven't seen it yet, but like, there's a movie about werewolves within, right? And it looks yeah. interesting. It looks fun, right? And that's like the werewolf game where you play. Everybody closes their eyes and like, you're the werewolf. Open your eyes. That's basically what it is, right? So, you can win with these movies you just have to do it in the right way and i think where people always where they always fail is where they do the let's retell the entire story in a movement don't do that do a detective pikachu take things from the world right uh the the only thing i think that has succeeded recently and was the sonic the hedgehog Mm -hmm. movies which apparently did really really well yeah after they got rid of his teeth yeah well and that that was what i was going to bring up and and i think because of the fact that it has like the human characters and it takes place in the real world it has that much more of a separation from the games and how the games worked um but i this this two sonic movies and granted i'm not a huge sonic fan in any way shape or form but the two sonic movies i think are really well done they do a phenomenal job with that um, and and bringing the characters to life and making it an interesting story that stays as true as possible to the original games and those characters and what they were like in the games. And then also, I think, from what I've heard from other people say anyway, like the cartoons that were made about Sonic the Hedgehog since then also, it just like those are actually really well done in being about something that is sacred to a lot of people and delivering on that for the most part. If I were a Hollywood writer, like I wouldn't touch a video game property with like a ten thousand foot pole. Right now, it's it's all the rage though. Like there's so many people doing so many different video game TV shows or movies. Um, like every property now has been gobbled up to make something, um, and some of the stuff is actually getting made now. Like what was like starting a decade ago, they started gobbling up all these franchises, but nothing ever got like to completion. And now it's just like everything's lined up. You have um, you have the people that made Westworld are behind the are the new um, uh, Last of Us, not Last of Us. Um, uh, Saints Row. It's not. No, it's not like I keep wanting to say Bioshock. Fallout, Fallout, Fallout. It's Fallout. I kept wanting to say Bioshock, but it's Fallout. They're behind the new Fallout TV series that's that's per- that's in the process of being made. I like the uh, thing you did with your hands there. Like you had the Pip Boy up, and you also you were pulling the trigger on your gun. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I got sidetracked on Bioshock, and I knew it wasn't Bioshock, but it's like Bioshock because Fallout kind of is, and it's just like I know what it is, but I couldn't think of the words. But yeah, Fallout. Yeah, and it's just like it's just crazy. Like Christopher Nolan's brother is making a Fallout TV series, like. What world is this? <laughs> it's very strange. But I mean, Game of Thrones hit, so everyone wants to yep. take their shot. And now we are excited to welcome back friend of the show, Dr. Kelsey Camille from Premier Health in Coon Rapids. Dr. Camille, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Today we're going to talk about sleep cycles. Why is it important to have sound sleep cycles as a gamer? Uh, one of the big reasons it's important to make sure that you uh, sustain a, a solid sleep cycle is, uh, well, First off, it's really easy to fall into the trap of just one more, just one more, as my husband can tell you. As the host of this podcast can tell you. (laughs) Um, But secondly, making sure that you're aware of your gaming time um, can 
actually affect uh, how you're able to fall asleep as well as stay asleep. So as much as it's difficult to do, cutting off the, the games at within about 30 minutes to 45 minutes of uh, the, the ideal bedtime for you, um, you're going to be able to fall asleep and stay asleep quicker. Um, and then adding extra things like blue light filters to your computer screen if you're um, a PC gamer um, or... Blue light glasses, perhaps? Absolutely. That works just as well. And the other big thing to be aware of when it comes to um, ensuring that you have quality sleep at night is paying attention if, to if you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep because that can determine whether you need to be adding um, melatonin or more um, GABA into your, your diet. Um, and those are things that can be gone into much more in depth when you get evaluated in the clinic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. If you'd like to learn more or book an appointment, visit PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Thank you, Dr. Camille. And now we're back to wrap up our show with the discussion of Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. The most recent title, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, released June of last year as one of the first big PS5 exclusives. This game sits at an 88 on Metacritic. A quick synopsis of the story, Clank builds the Dimensionator so that Ratchet can hopefully find the other Lombax in the universe. Dr. Nefarious, of course, steals it. The heroes have to travel across other dimensions to save the day, ending up in a different dimension, primarily where Nefarious is the Emperor. Ratchet and Clank from that universe are both ladies. The dynamic duo is split up for roughly two-thirds of the game. Ratchet is with Kit and Clank is with Rivet. You continue to acquire and upgrade an impressive arsenal of weapons while blasting tons of goons and exploring everywhere, literally everywhere, for uh, collectibles. That's why you don't flip the page before you finish the sentence. Good podcast hosting. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> The last game we discussed uh, on this podcast prior tonight was The Witcher 3. Rift Apart isn't that, but... <laughs> no, there's a couple differences. A <laughs> couple differences. How well does this story hold up? First off, we're all very narrative-based gamers. John, I look at you on this one. I know that this story isn't on The Witcher 3 level, but is, this, is it a solid narrative experience from beginning to end? I think it's fantastic, right? I mean you're not getting anything that's jumping off the page, like plot twist surprise. Right. But look, alternate dimensions are fun. Doppelgangers are fun. Right. Seeing the villain who always loses because go to a world where he always wins is fun. Right. So all these fun things. And I think the best thing about it is while the plot points were predictable, right. They're the same sort of like, yeah, you know how this is going to go. Cause We've all played a hundred bajillion video games. The character growth is fantastic, right? The character growth between, you know, Rivet and Kit is great, right? And how they interact. I almost feel like Ratchet and Clank get a little bit of backseat mm -hmm. action, right? Like they don't do much. Again, they're our avatar. They're our, like, they're bringing us into this world. We're them, right? But we get to see some real growth with you know, the other characters. And you get some fun stuff with, like, you know, the backstory of, like, the hippie-dippy, like, the dimensions. And that guy's a fun character in the <laughs> Ratchet world Gary. that you go through. Um, Gary, yeah. He's fun. Um, and you get some cool lore and backstory with that, too. So I think it was, you know, for the type of game it is, it's perfect. Burns, you view narrative as probably one of the most important elements of games. Did this game satisfy the need for you? 
Yeah, I mean, compared to the 2016 game, the story is quite a bit more complex and more complete. Uh, I, I think um, the, the the original game, that 2016 game, was hampered by having those cutscenes being like sort of just shoehorned in from the movie. Uh, whereas this, it just it it has its ability to do its thing the way that it needs to, um, and and really have growth. And and I would actually contend. I mean, there is growth in Ratchet. Clank. I don't think Clank develops at all, but there really isn't a need for his character to develop. But like with Ratchet, there's that whole sort of torn nature within him of whether he actually wants to find the other Lombaxes or not, right? And sort of that that feeling of inadequacy that, you know, the things that he's found out about the Lombaxes are that they're this great race of people and that he doesn't feel like he rates. He doesn't live up to the legacy. Right, exactly. And so I think that's like one of the interesting things. And then his interplay with Rivet as they are started, as they're able to kind of come together, uh, starts to help him understand then the need to meet them. Um, and I think for Rivet, like it doesn't seem like she really ever thought too much about that prospect. Um, but then that becomes important to her as well as the game is evolving. What I'm, what I'm intrigued in with that whole piece is whether like, are they actually, doppelgangers of each other across these dimensions or are they individuals or are they somewhat somehow elsewise related i think they played up the doppelganger piece because they would say the same thing at the same time multiple times uh but i'm just curious if that's not necessarily going to be the case because these lombaxes tend to exist maybe outside of these dimensions possibly i'm not sure that's one thing that's one thing that I was legit hoping that they were going to pay off at some point, but I guess we have to wait for the sequel to do that. Can't wait. Can't wait. Well, Burns, what is the main draw for you here? Is it the story or is it blasting enemies? I mean, I do think they strike a good balance with this one where the story, I, I think the story is engaging. Uh, I don't think you come to a Ratchet and Clank game for the story, uh, but it's engaging enough to really draw you into it and to care about the characters uh, much more. So I think than the 26, not that the story was quote unquote bad in the 2016 version, but it's just like, there's more of it here to sink your teeth into. Um, and, and I do think, and we'll talk about it a little bit more um, coming up here, but I do think they do a really good job of in, in some instances, really connecting the story to what you're doing in the game. Like, sure, you're going to a planet because you need to stop this thing or get this thing or do this thing. Um, and that's the storytelling you need to get there. But, like, the actual, like, character development is the reason why you're doing certain things in this. Um, and how, as you're finding different things or doing different things, that brings out more aspects of the given character's I think they do a lot more with this than they did in the 2016 game, um, which is intriguing. But I think in Ratchet and Clank, I think the gameplay is probably the king, right? That that's the reason you're there. You know, you're you're not there to sit down and watch 20 minute cutscenes in between things. You're there to just shoot shoot stuff and and find cool weapons and make the weapons better. Uh, I think that's ultimately the draw. And to put words in the mouth of a friend who isn't here to speak, 
for himself. I think Brian would agree with you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I and for what it's worth, I agree. The main draw for me is blasting the dudes. Pew pew pew. <laughs> John, where do you come 100%. in? Hundred percent, right? Like, look, it's fun. There's they do Insomniac does a great job with Every time I jump and smash my, we say pew 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 and all the guns, but Ratchet's got an awesome wrench that's fun to use too. And it's every time I jump and smash down and like 15 boxes break mm-hmm. and a million bolts fly in the air and like get absorbed by my body, that is satisfying. Or overdrive kingdoms. Oh, you just stole my punchline, dude. Or, <laughs> uh, fun. or whatever you want. A fun thing with the Ratchet and Clank games are these. One of the collectibles is golden bolts that are hidden all over the world, and one of the they unlock different cheats basically, especially in Rift Apart. And you can find one in Rift Apart that we all found where you can change what the currency is in the world. And for the traditional setting in Ratchet and Clank, is you collect these bolts and that's your currency to buy upgrades. But in this game. You can change it to the uh, overdrive cans from Sunset Overdrive. And so instead of bolts, I had hundreds and thousands of millions of these stupid cans flying to Ratchet all the time. And it was the most ridiculous thing, but it just made me laugh constantly. And just a little semantic thing that I just want to throw out there. So they're called bolts, but they're all nuts. Huh. Yeah. No, they're nuts and bolts. I, most of them there. just seem like most of them just seem like the nuts and I, not the bolts. I think the bolts are all gold bolts, but I think the nuts. I, I think the uh, what we're calling. I'm so confused. I I I can't master these semantics. Good point, Burns. You are correct. <laughs> and this is the first time we actually talked about nuts on the podcast, and it wasn't about like my nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I have had. I, mean, uh, I was waiting for us to circle back around for something. <laughs> Nuts. When you said nuts like four times. Nuts. I've had two separate people text me to talk about how great the transition was last month in the Sherlock show when I said, speaking about your testicles, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you to everyone who listens to me and sticks with uh, this show through all of my Tomness. <laughs> While we agree that the story is fine the characters are really good the main draw is blasting the enemies so let's talk about the weapons and the tactics that we use what weapons did you prioritize in your moment-to-moment battles and what were some of your favorite tactics john you're i guess our expert having played once in the olden days i will say the the best thing that the rift apart does is it actually makes you use all the weapons right uh, 2016, you could kind of just pick one or two and just like, yep, there's enough ammo floating around that you could do that. With Rift Apart, I quickly found that I was running out of ammo with all my weapons, which I loved because then it would make me try something new, and then I would find all these cool new patterns, right? So my big thing was always crowd control and getting as many other like AOE-type guys out there. So it was always get fungi out, get copier sprinkler, and then what's out there? Uh, usually I throw grenades or warmonger or just my normal blaster or whatever I felt like that was close and I had ammo in. But it really it was all about the crowd control. Um, big bosses and stuff. I like the Negatron just because you get that Iron Man beam you just be able to zap them. Right? It was fun. I 
I was a little bit different. I would focus on different combos of weapons at different stages in the games. Like I was trying to level every weapon up to level five and to advance my arsenal as much as possible. So I kept finding these different combos that would work together. You mentioned fungi and uh, topiary sprinkler. That was the first thing that I did. I mentioned in my top five that I used the cold snap and the drill hound together. Um, so I would, I kept varying up my tactics. I didn't have many ammo issues like I'd run out of uh, buzzsaw blades pretty frequently and then I would use the lightning bolt gun that would freeze enemies in place for a bit but uh I mean I was I was constantly cycling through weapons just trying to upgrade as many as I could to level five yeah I there were some times in some battles where I would be out of most ammo at the end of it because of mixing between different things and some of some of the battles are long like there's some of them that there's multiple waves and they take quite a bit of time um i so i found with the ratchet and clank games that i maybe have like a bit of an illness because once i get a weapon to level five i do not want to touch it again because I'm wasting experience on other weapons. I'm very similar. I'm very similar. <laughs> and so, but it's like, if I don't have any other guns to use, like, I will focus on, like, laser focus on trying to use. I, the second planet, Sargasso, um, I hit level five with the first gun that you get. Like, because I just, just religiously was just always using that. I unlocked a couple other things. But I just used that. And then once that got there, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to try to use this shotgun. Luckily, the battle arena, if there's one redeeming factor for the mission where you could only use the executor, um, was that I leveled the crap out of that the million times that I tried that freaking battle arena area. Um, so that got that one to level five. Um, so I would only pull out my maxed weapons if I absolutely needed them in a critical moment. And those would usually be the glove of doom or the topiary sprinkler or the Mr. Fungi, which turns into Ms. Fungi and you get two of them. Um, and once you get that to level five, those were like the main ones that I would bring out um, until it would be a boss battle. And then it would be specifically if I would like, especially near the end when you really had to just manipulate like those big enemies as much as possible, I would either freeze them with the cold snap or stun them with the lightning gun or stun them with the topiary sprinkler and then pull out as big of a gun as I could. So either the peacemaker, the drill hound or the rhino and just pummel the crap out of them to take off as much freaking damage as I could. Um, as I, you know, in order to try to get through that, because that was what you needed to do to get them to 0% and make it through. I played both of these games without getting the Rhino. You have to really oh. you have to really seek out whatever the collectible is that you need to get that. And so in the first game, you had to collect all the Rhino cards in order to get the Rhino. One shy, and I think it's on the first planet, and I couldn't find a way to get back to that area. Ah, and then these... Uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say... For the first game, it's not a big deal. The rhinos are just kind of boring in the first game. It's cool, right? It's a great mm -hmm. gun, but it, there's nothing, nothing special. In Rift Apart, you need to get the rhino. Yes. I won't say it's, what it does, but it's, it's awesome. So fun. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, you just have to get it because there's so much cool stuff with it. I think I'm like five to. spy bots short, and honestly, I don't believe I'm ever going back to Rift Apart. Really? Yeah. 
I mean, I'm more likely to go back and chase the collectibles in the 2016 remake because I felt like I was just closer to Got it. it. I was closer, and I like the <clears throat> rewards roll out a little bit better. I felt like it was easier to get raritonium. I just I don't see myself going back to Rift Apart to try to clean up the stuff. Maybe with challenge mode, if I can level all my weapons up to 10, yeah, that is compelling to me. So I will say, as someone who's done challenge mode in both, challenge mode in Rift Apart is way better than challenge mode in 2016 because of how they handle raritanium. In 2016, you don't get the random uh, raritanium drops, right? Where you're just fighting enemies. In Rift Apart, like, I'm swimming in raritanium because it just falls off enemies. Mm -hmm. So... You know, once you start leveling up your enemy, because the, we didn't talk about it, but there's you, know, you gain, you have like Skyrim leveling with your weapons by using it, and that unlocks like you can then upgrade your weapon with raritanium, right? And there's another whole another like level web up screen. It's almost like a sphere grid from mm -hmm. Final Fantasy X, right? And then you, if you level up the nodes around special nodes, you get a special upgrade on that weapon. Well, when you go to challenge mode, and then you do Oh, give me the Omega weapon. Then you get five more levels, so you get more of those nodes that open up. So you need that rare retaining, because otherwise you can't beat the guys in challenge mode. Um, but it's way easier to get that rare retaining, get those bolts with all the different upgrades you can get in Rift Apart, and makes it way more fun. And there's other weapons you can get in challenge mode that aren't in the normal, like yeah. the bouncer. And the the pixelizer is in. You can only get in challenge mode in uh, in uh, Rift Apart. I didn't particularly care for the pixelizer in 2016. See, I don't think it was ever very effective, but I loved it because it made it like everything looked like a doom bad guy when you would shoot him with it. And so that it's like fun. that speaks to my sensibilities. <laughs> it was very silly and fun. So and it's interesting to hear you say that. You, so here's another one of my sicknesses that I found out that I have with this game. And to a fault in some instances, I can't leave a planet until I've gone through and grabbed all of the things that I can see on the map. So I would get done with it and it's like, okay, off to the next planet. And it's like, oh no, no, there's two nodes of raritanium and there's a spy bot that I didn't grab the first time through. I'm finding a way and sometimes it is really difficult to get over to this other spot in order to get at those things and then there's a couple of times where you have to go back to a planet later on and it unlocks more of it and it's not always it's not always apparent that that's the case i'm looking at you sargasso and so uh there's a couple of times where i'm like how the heck do i get up over there like i know there's stuff over there and it's just like I look it up online. It's like, oh, yeah, you can get that when you come back on the second time. And it's just like, oh, OK, well, I just wasted like 45 minutes of my life. <laughs> Burns, I don't think that the Metroid series is ever going to be for you, my friend. <laughs> Probably not. But it is interesting to me how differently we enjoy our games because yeah. we both enjoy like big experiences where you can see and like touch and do a lot <laughs> of stuff. But I like to jump into worlds, kind of see what's available, look around, make my snap judgment and then. I'm off mm -hmm. to the next thing. And you are very much more grounded in getting all of the stuff everywhere. Yeah. I get to, I, I tend to be a completionist around some of those things where it's like, grab all the things I can. If so, it, one thing that they do in ratchet and clank a lot is you'll randomly walk up to random people and they'll start talking about things. 
And it's just like, I'm going to stand there and listen to this whole conversation because it's interesting. So like one of the most famous ones is, I think it's one of the earlier levels. And uh, yeah, it's the first level because it's before you start going through dimensions. And there's the hologram of Dr. Nefarious that's talking to one of the Goons for Less guys. And the Goons for Less guy is just like, I this wasn't in the contract. Like, all this stuff is falling from the sky. There's, like, dinosaurs and stuff like that. I didn't sign up for this. And then, like, Nefarious, Nefarious is just like, well, you just do what you need to do, you know? And, and, and it's, <laughs> it's just funny. And granted, like, in the flow of things, I should have just shot the guy while he was in mid-conversation. But I need to sit there and listen to him have this whole argument with the hologram of Dr. Nefarious. Like, I can't go on without that, without seeing that. So, yeah, I have a problem, Tom. I know that. You do, my friend. <laughs> I would say Tom has a problem. You don't appreciate the content that's there, Tom. Joey and I... We, look, it took someone time to place those nodes. It took someone time to design every aspect of that level to write the text on the back of that collectible card, Tom. And you're dissing them, but not checking them. Well, you know, I have my own weird sickness. Like, when I read a magazine, I have to go left to right, cover to cover, read everything in it, whether I'm interested or not. Like, that's one of the reasons why I originally unsubscribed us to, like, Sports Illustrated, because I was reading articles about swimming and, like, every sport under the sun. It's like, I really, I'm really only corely interested in football, baseball, and the NBA. And, like, anything else is, like... You know, I, I just couldn't I couldn't help from reading it. It was the same thing with Game Informer. I've read hundreds of articles about games that I have literally zero interest in. It's like, well, how will I know if I have an interest or not if I don't read this article? It's true. It's true. <laughs> you guys are crazy for doing that with games. Like, put a billion hours into everything. In Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, you travel to a number of different worlds. Which of these levels stood out to you? I'll start. Savalas was a highlight for me. Uh, I, that's where I mastered like the hover orbs or not the hover orbs, the hover boots yeah. and like the core terrain where you can move much faster than you could previously in the game. I zoomed all over to get all the Lombax orbs. I just thought that board, the first time you go to it is just such a delight. Like I loved all of my interactions there and it really set the tone for this game for me. Yeah. And that's what I was referring to earlier, um, was Savali where the things that you're doing on that planet are like directly connected to like the Lombax lore and the story, like the, the main story of the game. And it's so cool to see like you're uncovering like this backstory as you're, as you're searching through this planet to collect all those things. Did you listen to, did you listen to any of the Lombax uh, recordings? No comment. <laughs> well, it's let me, so good, Tom. Let me just clarify on this one. When I was playing this particular section of the game, I was with Daisy. She had okay. gotten bored, and she was watching TV on her iPad. So there's a lot of like background noise, and Got I didn't it. want to crank up the TV crazy loud just so I could hear my game over her stuff. So I did intend to listen to those, but at the moment I was finding them, it wasn't like conducive to being like super invested in the story of the game. So I would say before you remove this from your PlayStation 5 hard drive you go back and at least listen through those because they are deeply important to, I think, where Ratchet and Clank is going. Oh, interesting. And so I think it's really important to listen to that. It also gives you a little bit of background as to, like, like just the history of the Lombaxes. And so I think it's, I think it's really good to go through and listen. It'll take you, like, seven minutes to listen to all ten of them. 
if I, that. I mean, seven minutes is precious to me, Burns. I can accomplish a lot in seven minutes. <laughs> Find out a way to remote play it, and you can remote play while you're on the john tomorrow morning. Yeah. I made two children in seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> John, what world stood out to you, my friend? Oh, boy. I got to follow that joke. All right. So, uh, so three big ones, right? The uh, Torrent 4, right? So, like, the Gulch area. Like, that mm-hmm. place, I really like. Like, just one, the fixer is super cool, right? And, like, using your rift boots, like, where your glide boots where they are, like, there's just some really long like runs. That's just fun. That's a really cool set piece. That one's just really, really exciting. I loved the like the Kadaro station, um, where you like any game where I'm doing light world, dark world, and oh, I'm flipping yeah. back and forth between worlds is always cool, right? Like I love that Zelda like Link to the Past, light world, dark world thing. Any game. It doesn't do much for me. I like Link to the Past was good. Um... It was fine, <laughs> but in this game, I didn't particularly like that mechanic. Like I, I found myself more often frustrated with those puzzles than particularly enjoying them. I think maybe it was a slower pace, and I like the more uh, frenetic moments of the game. And this was more of a thinker section. Sure, I get you. I I like the atmosphere of those worlds. The like a little bit dead spacey, right? This is broken on the other side, mm-hmm. right? I thought that was cool. And then uh, my favorite is the pirate world called, I looked it up here, uh, Ardolith. Yeah, Ardolith, the pirate base, right? Because you're basically going through like a theme park, uh-huh. and I'm a huge Disney nut. And like that whole scene is just like, I love that whole part. Like, loved it. And like, I'm playing this game, I played this game with my 10 year old daughter, right? She's going through this, and we're just both enjoying it, cracking up. It's just fun and funny, and just like the pirate robots. I love the pirate robots; they're just mm-hmm. awesome. In this game. They're fun. One thing on the light world, dark world thing that I forgot to mention while I was dumping all over it, but I had one of my favorite character moments. What they did with there is a very bit character named Juice that's in that world, and I just love yeah. what they did with the Juice. That was one of my. That was probably my favorite moment in either game was what they did with that specific character. So even in a board that wasn't my favorite, it still had one of my favorite character moments. Yeah, yeah I'd agree great, with that. Right? Again, all the characters are great. Juice is awesome. That whole part is so cool. Yeah, it and is. And watching a 10-year-old who, like, this is, like, her first big video game go through those moments was a lot of fun, right? Because it's, it, you know, it's not scary for me. But for her, it was very, very intense and very stressful with those juice moments. Dad, what do I do? Well, just she died a lot, like, trial and error, right? But it was fun and rewarding to see her get through that with the game. Well, and and now that she's played that, she can play Alien Isolation next and uh, get like that next <laughs> level of game breaking bug. Supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of trial and error, Burns, I think you had a real affinity for the battle arena. Was that the highlight of this experience for you? Oh my. Uh, the battle arena angered me a lot. Because uh, it wasn't fun. So most of the missions were fun, but Disagree. The two that I spent the vast majority of my time attempting 
um, are the there's two of them, one on the silver tier and one on the gold tier, where you can only use one weapon. The first time it's the executor, which is like a shotgun, and then the other time it is the um, uh, the the warmonger, the rocket launcher, and that's on the gold tier. And those two levels are so incredibly frustrating on I played it on the second most the second highest difficulty level and Which it's just resistance leader yeah and it is just it is just so frustrating and cheap like it is so cheap to you at times with like how it throws enemies at you and 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 what it is that you have to try to do in order to make it through those missions and let's set this up just a touch more a battle arena common theme in video games yep. like you're in this locked room and you have to shoot so many guys so many waves of guys whatever right so mm-hmm. pretty standard great fit for a game like this that's built around weaponry and frenetic action the thing that i think makes it struggle so much here is that <laughs> the floor is lava yeah like timeless classic game the floor <laughs> is lava yeah. and with all of these enemies with all of these things happening with all the uh projectiles flying at you or the occasional giant monster rampaging through the board that you have to navigate past it's just it is impossible to avoid all of those things and they'll put other restrictions on it like limiting you to a weapon or doing other different things to make it more challenging and it ends up being i never felt uh satisfaction from completing these things it was just relief that i survived the most frustrating thing and got the reward payout so i'm glad that i'm not the only one exactly the same way about the stupid like curse word curse word curse word shotgun level right uh-huh. um, i remember when i played it the first time through yeah like i've got passes that i'm like i gave up i spent like two hours resetting over and over on the hardest difficulty level just trying to beat this stupid level and i'm like i'm done can't yeah. do it it's never gonna happen and the reason is you have a game that's designed around the fact that you have like 15 or 20 awesome different weapons that synergize and work together, right? Don't chop me off at the knees and say, only use this one. Which mm-hmm. only has right? like 20 shells. Oh, and it's like, and you got to be close range. And now you have, and the guy, and like the guys kill me in like two hits, right? It's like, there's just, there's no way. And I've seen people have done it, right? Isn't that, and like, because they haven't tied it to, thank God they didn't tie it to achievement, right? At least they did that, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't tie, they, well, they tied beating it to an achievement, but it's not tied to difficulty, right? So there's that. But yeah, I, I don't like those missions in the battle arena where they say, you had an opportunity to make it really fun and learning and say, only use these five weapons. So that mm-hmm. I have to figure out what the puzzle is that these weapons work together. But when you say only use this one, it just doesn't work in the ratcheting system. Well, and some of the other battle arena like missions do that to an extent. Like there's one where you have to use it's just it randomly changes to a different weapon after you kill five guys. And so you do have to kind of figure out, okay, what do I do with this one? How do I get five kills? And sometimes it's really just I'm going to thwack things with my wrench to get to the next weapon. And then other, and then it's, and then there's a little bit of strict strategy around it where like with the glove of doom, for instance, if you throw, like if you pepper a bunch of those out before you kill a couple more guys, those still stay there. 
And so it's like, okay, well, I've got those guys running around and helping me kill things with this next weapon. Um, and, and some of that stuff was fun. With those other two missions, though, I think the problem was is it they're just so unnecessarily cheap against you at times. Because, so for the shotgun mission specifically, it, it, it will literally put enemies in the worst possible spots for you to get to them to kill them. Um, so you're burning precious precious health, like falling in the lava, <laughs> trying to get to the foes. Like, yep. The foes overwhelm me. That's one thing. But if I lose this mission where I can only use this one weapon because I fell in the freaking lava because I had to double jump wall slide to get yep. over to this other faraway platform so I was in range for this stupid weapon that you limit me to, yep. very frustrating. Well, and, and like one of the things that Amplified for me was... So, like, one of the main mechanics of this game is the whole rift mechanic where you can tether yourself to a rift and teleport yourself to a spot behind enemies a lot of times, um, which would be great, except for it, sometimes it takes you so dang long to turn around to shoot the things that they're already peppering you with bullets. And that's the thing that, like, was amplified to me with this. Like, they're if they would have had a quick turnaround button where it's like, I can just quickly jump 180 degrees and shoot behind me. Like that would have solved that problem, but they didn't have that. And so like going through the rifts in the battle arena was actually to me, it felt like a hindrance because I would teleport myself behind these dudes. And then by the time I'm turned around, I've already been shot twice and lost like uh 20% of my health. And at that point, knowing I'm not going to get any health regen, like, that's a waste. Like, I can't do that. And then then the game makes the sin of having your character do the banter of, well, I need to find some nanotech. And it's like, dude, they're not giving it to us. Don't tell me that a 10th, 20th, 30th time. You're not going to heal, Rivet. Shut up. Like, turn that off if you're not going to give me nanotech in these situations so that I, I don't have to have the character echoing my frustration or making me even more frustrated. Um, it, it, it's funny because like these battle arena, like especially those two battle arena missions, like brought up the cracks in the game to me. Uh, and, and some of like the, 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 the pieces that just weren't, it, it felt like to me weren't a thousand percent polished uh, in the gold level. It's like the warmonger. There were times where I would pull the trigger and like it just wouldn't shoot like the, the gun didn't shoot and it's like i didn't just shoot the gun either and 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 it could be that my controller maybe isn't the greatest anymore possibly i'm not sure it could be a controller problem and not a game problem but it's like if i'm in a shooting if i'm in a, an instance where i need to shoot and i pull the trigger it needs to shoot like it, it needs to shoot and it needs to be reactive because especially with a gun that Within a situation where there's lots of guys around and you're trying to shoot at the exact right time to hit as many of them as possible, like you can't have moments like that where it does that. And it reminded me of Miles Morales and some of the challenge situations that you're in in that. And like that's where I ran into the cracks in that game too, where the traversal didn't work the way that you wanted to. And it's like this is now the second Insomniac game where they put these really difficult challenges there and it felt like it wasn't my shortfall to complete this. It was like the controls themselves not allowing me to complete this as efficiently as I want to. 
um, which I thought was interesting. Now imagine that your brain worked like mine and you're just like, well, this sucks. I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> if I come back here, I'll just jack down the difficulty. I beat all of the friggin' challenges I had to. I needed to get through the gold level and finish it. I did it. It was annoying and it was frustrating. And the gold tier was easy. Like every other one of those, I maybe died once on some of them, but never like the dozens of times that I died on those two, those two missions that we talked about specifically. I didn't think the arena was very fun, but on the other side of the coin, I thought pocket dimensions were great. Mm -hmm. These were bite-sized little dungeons sprinkled throughout the other worlds. Basically, you'd have like one traversal challenge, and then you'd be rewarded with a piece of armor afterwards. There are armor sets in this game, which will give you different boons. Say, some will give you less damage taken from the goons for less enemies, and some will reduce damage from indigenous beasts, and others will have other effects, and like functionally collecting them gives you the bonus and then cosmetically you could just choose to wear whatever you wanted to but i thought those pocket dimensions were a really fun to find out in the world and b really fun to complete c really good payoff for it it was just a really satisfying experience all around for me so what uh what were your armor sets of choice was there anything that really stood out to you that you can remember no i mean i filtered through a lot of them um because I'd get something new, I'm like, oh, cool, I have two pieces of this. I'll put those on for a little while, and then i find another piece of something else. And I'd So, no, I was just a completely disorganized hodgepodge. <laughs> kind of like my everyday life. Uh-huh. So, I had this thing where there was only one of the helmets where you could actually see the character's face. Um, I think it was the Galactic Ranger helmet. And so, I would try the other helmets on once, and I want to see Ratchet... And uh, Rivet's faces. Like, I don't want some goofy mask covering up most of their face. So I would always use that one because it's like, I want to see their face. I want to see their expressions. And granted, in the cutscenes, it takes the helmet off. But even then, it's just like, I don't know. It just felt weird to like, I'm, I'm not going to cover up their face. All the other things I would mix and match and say, yeah, this one looks cool. That's kind of cool. You know, I'd always change the color scheme to black and red because I just like black and red. Um, but otherwise, it was just I'd try all those other things on. But then yeah, the helmet always had to be the one where I could see their face. So you'd have them both in black and red? Mm -hmm. No, I had, I had both of them in different colors. Yeah, yeah. I just like black and red. Yeah. Oh, you did it wrong. John, how'd you do it? <laughs> I What? I wasn't playing dress up. That's why I wasn't. This isn't Bloodborne. I'm not playing dress up. Look. Well, I which think switch weapon did you thing, use with Rivet? <laughs> although weapon. changing the weapons around was fun. We were like, I'm gonna. You could use the gold bolts, like bolts to like say, oh, I'm gonna use like the pirate swords or like a keyblade. I switched uh -huh. up and used the keyblade. Made it Kingdom Hearts. That was fun. Um, <laughs> but so when you would collect the armor sets, you would get a bonus. Yep. Right. Now, do you just get that bonus, like the cards in the other games? It wasn't yeah. like you had to wear the armor? No. Oh, see, I thought you had to wear the armor. So I was no. like, oh, I'm fighting pirates? Shipped into my pirate armor. Oh, <laughs> I want to get more rare cadium? I'm putting on my rare cadium armor. So, like, okay. Inadvertently, you RP'd it more than the people you just accused of playing dress-up. <laughs> right, I did. But I, I was just trying to min-max, right? <laughs> So no, I'm min-maxing. I'm not RPing. I'm min-maxing. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's not use min-max as a verb on this show. I uh, I have some sour feelings towards min-max. <laughs> there are two new protagonists in this game. What are our impressions of Kit and Rivet? 
I, I mean, I like them a lot. It, we talked about how strong the characters were in this game. I thought they both had their own baggage. I thought they did an interesting job of mixing the characters so it wasn't always just Ratchet with Clank or Kit with Rivet. I just, I love those characters and I thought they did a great job of putting them in different situations together. Yeah, I, I, I it was cool how they, they mixed and matched them a lot. Like, you kind of saw, like, okay, Kit was the, you know, Clank to Rivet, you know, but... It is interesting how they built up like the scenario around them and how they had to overcome that as the game went on. Um, and it, it was cool to see, you know, like Ratchet, I don't think has ever called Clank anything other than Clank, but then Rivet had a nickname Bolts for Clank the entire time. And I was like, oh, that's that's cute. You know, that's interesting. And, and so I think seeing the interplay between the different characters helped to draw out other parts of the characters that you didn't necessarily get to see too much i think quick flashback to 2016 isn't clank the nickname that ratchet gave clank because uh like when they're introduced clank says his name is yeah whatever the long call serial segment. number yeah. just like just like with how he run into how he came up with kit you know and tried out a yeah. bunch of different things you know it's the same type of thing yeah yeah oh sorry i de- derailed you for that no that's fine wonderful point <laughs> john you thought something you know they are fantastic additions to the lore to the game i think that that story between kit and rivet is great this whole thing like you know and like you have this thing where, like you know rivet's got the chip on her shoulder about robots we're gonna make her work with robots right here's kit the robot that was bad right so like you have all that stuff and then like i i just love the the kit redemption moment mm-hmm. right to me is one of the high points in the game and one of those just like yeah moments Mm -hmm. right so it just they grow a lot they are different characters at the end of the game than they were at the beginning of the game and to me that's success Mm -hmm. i think i can speak for john on this we both thought this was a terrific wonderful ride from beginning to end burns there were a couple of challenges that you found with this game that you wanted to highlight if you want to bring them up one by one and then give john and i a moment to rebut them. Yeah, well, because I'm curious if anybody else ran into some of these same things, too. Because uh, like I said before, I it felt to me that the 2016 game was more polished than this one. Because there's just a few things that would pop up here and there that just seemed like it was weird that it was still in the game. Like, we're playing it almost a year after it, actually over a year after it came out. So if there were legitimate bugs with some of the things, you would think that they would be fixed by now. But... So, for instance, at times, if when if you'd be jumping in areas, and it, it was all the different planets that I ran into this, or at least the earlier planets, so like Sargasso, or like even some of the interior areas of some of the other planets, I would find I would jump into a spot, and sometimes you just land in between something, and either the character does the weird little hover animation, and it can't find somewhere to land land, and if you're in that hover animation for however long and you some usually I couldn't jump out of it uh, again like I couldn't double jump my way out of it you just die and you pop up with you know whatever 10 HP off and then you're back somewhere else within the level um, and I legitimately had this happen like over a dozen times like it wasn't just once or twice here or there it was quite a few times in different places and 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 sometimes it's like like I need all the HP I can get leading up to a boss or whatever. And I might not have any cubes that I can uh, hit to get nanotech to, to recover. 
And so that was one thing that was a little bit disappointing with a platformer where you're jumping from place to place. Like, like there needed to be something else that, uh, that helped me through that. Did anybody else run into any of that? I did run into areas where I got stuck in that hover animation and sometimes I didn't know exactly like where to jump, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like a persistent issue to me. And it wasn't something that I noticed dragging down the experience, John. To me, it's an issue that happens when I was trying to like explore and find stuff, right? So if you are staying on the path that the game presents for you, which is pretty clear, right? And you're staying in those main areas, you're good. I think where it probably hit you and me more is because we're like, there's that note of raritarium over there. I want to uh-huh. get that. I want to get this bolt over here. There's an info bot. And we're trying to get it and go the most direct route. And maybe something we're like, oh, no, you actually are going to get that when you go down a level and go around. So the path you're taking, we didn't design you to go that way. Right. So you're hitting these imaginary boundaries. And I think that's what you are running into. Yeah. And to me, that's not a problem. Right. Because 99 percent of the game. Right. I'm going the path that they mm-hmm. kind of predetermined for me. Right. And it's in those one percent where I'm like pushing the boundaries and I'm bumping up against them that it's causing it. There were some specific instances, though, like when you're going through. Um, I don't remember the name of the of the planet, but you're basically going through the facility and you have the stuff that's on the conveyor belts and you have to kind of jump over those to get to the higher conveyor belts to get to the exit. Like I know it happened to me a couple of times on that critical path to try to get over to where that exit was um, because I would be trying to jump onto something and I would land in between two crates or whatever and just sit there, hover, 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 die. You know, I Um, think that is one of the, one of the worst levels. Yeah. Right. Um, That happened to me in that level as well. And that's the exact, level i'm talking about where i'm like oh yeah there's raritanium over here and you can't get to it well then you go down two levels and there it is Mm -hmm. so you don't have that mini map that's jumping up and telling you level and yeah those conveyor belts and all the blocks and everything i I would agree that's there's some flaws there uh so one of the other things on some of the larger areas and i especially noticed it on sargasso um, there are weird spots where there's just like you get into an area and there's like absolutely nothing there. Um, and, and some of it, some of it was like land masses that were on the map. Some of it were like areas where there's nothing on the map, but you find this land mass and, and there's just like nothing there. Now, granted, it, it could be something that they were maybe going to develop into an area and they ran out of time or whatever. Um, but I thought that that was that was something that was just a little odd from time to time uh and and like you had kind of said about 2016 a little bit tom and sometimes like some of these planets like once you get through and like wipe out all the enemies they are just like an empty husk at times which is just it's it's a little weird um but uh but that was one thing i noticed like with sargasso specifically where it's just like there's there's random areas where it's like they do a good job of populating the earth or the planet in some spots, but then other spots where it was just like, Oh, this is barren. Um, you know, and like I said, these are like nitpicks that I'm bringing up. Um, some of them are gripes. Now this next one is a little bit less of a nitpick. Uh, I think the map is a step back from the map in 2016. Um, it, it wasn't super useful most of the time because it was, like such a rudimentary map. Like you couldn't really tell like what heights were in any way, shape or form 
And like it didn't even really mimic the land masses that often in some places. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just it, it feels like a little bit more time spent on like the map could have gone a long ways in helping you traverse the area or or helping to show that you don't go to a certain spot maybe um, in instances uh, would have been helpful with that too. I don't know. Did anybody else have issues with the map at all? Thinking back to 2016 for a minute, the thing that I liked most about that map was how it showed you what was explored and what wasn't explored. Yeah. Uh, that was really helpful for me. I didn't notice many issues with the map in Rift Apart, but I think that's because I was mostly critical pathing. <laughs> like, if I saw there was rare titanium on a board, I would prioritize that, but I knew that I wouldn't catch all, like, all the collectibles, so unless I could clearly tell where it was and where I needed to be and how to achieve it, like, I just... I just left it behind. Mm -hmm. I think the the distinction for me is 2016, right, was it was smaller, right, and you kind of had like you know, oh, you go to the zone, here's your static, right. I, I thought it was a good hallways, size, John. You see, <laughs> you see your hallways, you see all these, like you know exactly the path you're going. There's only like one or two branches, and I think what a lot of the worlds in part try to do is let's take open world and make it small, mm -hmm. right? So you had these little mini open worlds all over the place. So the map turns more into like a big giant, like Witcher map with your question marks all over, right? But you don't have any of the landmarks on the map that you need to kind of say, oh, this is what that is. So what you're doing is hopefully like, oh, the land mass is the right size. And I can see there's a big one here and a little one there. So that's mm -hmm. gotta be worth that. So I think there just wasn't enough distinction on the map itself to allow you to key into the open worldness they were trying to do with those boards instead of having those boards be more linear like they are in 2016. And I do think a lot of the problem is actually what you just, I, I didn't re, I didn't remember that about the map in 2016, Tom, but yeah, I think that is a lot of it. Like not having the fog of war effect where you know where you've been and where you haven't been got confusing sometimes when you'd be somewhere and you're like, okay, how do I, and like some of the maps like Sargasso especially is very confusing as to like, how do I get back to rivets little hideaway or whatever? And, and they're a little confusing to navigate. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes it's easy to get turned around on that without having, without having that idea of, Oh, okay this is where, like, this is where I've been. I haven't been over here yet. Now it's, now it kind of clicks as to where I was trying to go. So I think, I think that was, I think that was something, I think that, that, that's, that's a lot of the reason I had issues with it too. Um, and then, yeah, one of the things I brought up before too, um, like that came up with the battle arena specifically. Um, but there were some times where like I would pull the trigger all the way back and, it, it wouldn't shoot. Um, I noticed it more with those battle arena areas um, when I was trying to shoot a, certain guns that maybe have a little more issues with shooting um, or to have a little bit longer animation with them. Um, one other thing I noticed was, and I don't know if you guys ever ran into this, but there was a couple of times where I would pick something on the weapon wheel and it wouldn't switch the gun and it would shoot as something random other than what I used to have and what I changed it to. And it would say, it would say like, for instance, uh, that you're on the topiary sprinkler, um, but you're shooting the lightning bolts. Um, 
And I was trying to go to the topiary sprinkler, but it wasn't that. And I would have to go select a different weapon and select the sprinkler again in order for it to actually switch. I had it happen with the fungi sometimes too. Um, and, and a few other weapons where, and it, this maybe happened like a handful of times, like five or six times throughout my playthrough. Um, but it was just like a little like weird issue where it switched the gun, but it didn't switch the gun. Um, it was just kind of strange how that happened sometimes. You had a weird and wonky experience, my friend. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't encounter any of that. Yeah. And like I said, all of these things are maybe a little bit more nitpicky, but that's what led me to kind of saying like, I felt that the 2016 game was just more polished than this. And, and granted Rift Apart is a much more ambitious game. There's a lot more going on to it. So I can kind of understand that there would maybe be, um, some more bugs within it. But, uh, I don't know. I just felt like if we're doing like a true like review of this game, that it's it's good to at least bring up some of those things that I ran into. No, it's um, very fair. And I remember the issues that you had with Miles Morales, and I felt the same way on a lot of those. But yeah. in Rift Apart, I had a very smooth and like relatively bug-free experience, except except in the, the final cutscene. Ratchet's audio just stopped. I had to turn on I had to turn on the uh, subtitles to know what he was saying. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't have that. One thing I did have happen a few times though was in the middle of so sometimes the game did a really good job of if somebody was saying something and you'd go do something, it'd be like, oh, uh, hold on, hold on one moment, and then when you go back, it would like continue that. But there was a few times when you were in the middle of like clink telling you something important it seemed like that it would just completely cut off and jump into something else and you'd never get back to that and it'd be like hmm. okay hopefully i don't really need to know what clink just told me because <laughs> i'm never getting that back you know uh and that happened that happened you know probably half a dozen ten times um at, at different points and and so i don't know like i said these are like nitpicks like i thought this was a fantastic game i really enjoyed rift apart um, and I would highly recommend it to anybody, but, um, just a few wonky things that I ran into with it. And yeah, I don't know. We've said it before. Making games is hard. I have no idea what it's like to make games. Um, I mean, I, I troubleshoot software for a living too. So I kind of know that software is a pain in the dick, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's still a phenomenal game. Don't get me wrong. John, let's talk about really quickly about the other ways this game stands out, and then we'll jump into our final thoughts and takeaways. One thing that I wanted to note was that there's lots of enemies in this game. I never felt like I was stuck blasting the same dudes. One of my few knocks on 2016 was that you fight the slimes, you fight a couple other like archetypes, and there isn't a ton of variety. In this game, I thought like your standard level grunt, there was a ton of variety in the different types of guys you'd fight. Where it was lacking maybe was in like the boss fights. Like there, you fight so many of the like juggernaut robots uh -huh. and there isn't a lot of variety in the main bosses. But for me, I loved how many enemies they threw at you in this game. I thought it was just a great variety. I think it's interesting, you know, Joey talks about his controller being wonky. The controller is one of the things I loved about the game, right? You know, PS5 sold us on these, you know adaptive controllers with like you know the force feedback and all that stuff and i felt like that was one of the cool things that this did you get like you know your double you, know, you can do different fire modes but how far in you press and i was thinking maybe that's what was throwing off your gun was your trigger um but that i thought was awesome um just the overall comedy 
right? We talked mm-hmm. about we talked about Gary, like that that stays true to the the series. Um, it's just funny, right? It is and, funny. There were a couple of actual laugh out loud moments for me, especially getting towards the end of this game. Like I was chuckling and I was having a really good time with this story. Yeah, just and like the little, even like the little breaks, like the like whenever they would have like nefarious drop his little propaganda films, <laughs> right? Like the fairy, like you know, and then like they do like little chibi uh, rivet and ratchets running around. It's just like those things were fantastic. So this production value of that uh, was just great, and yeah, well, laugh and I, out loud, funny stuff. Well, and then the differences, especially when you would have some of those doppelgangers be like right next to each other, and the differences between them, and I think that's amplified the most with like Doctor Nefarious and Emperor Nefarious, uh, and, and it's just. It was just they did really good stuff with those two characters and like how one of them is just like so good. And the other one is just like the most hapless <laughs> at everything that he does, it seems. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they did really good stuff with that. And, and especially like amplifying with Dr. Nefarious specifically, like you do empathize with him a little bit. Like you kind of almost want him to get a W to some extent, and he, I guess he kind of does maybe in this game. I don't know. We could argue about that when we want to talk like with spoilers out there. But uh, I think I think it's really interesting uh, what they do with Doctor Nefarious and making him a little bit more of a sympathetic uh, antagonist. Agreed. Final thoughts and takeaways on Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I'm going to start on this one because I feel like I'm the most negative of this game. I thought it was a great ride. It Ratchet and Clank just isn't my favorite franchise. I don't know why it doesn't like leap up to the Witcher level for me, but it's just not it's just not my favorite franchise. But I would jump into another adventure and check out the weapons. Like it's a fun time. It's a fun thing. And like I feel like you could just put in Ratchet and Clank, jump in, blast some things, have some fun. It's It's fine. It's it's good. It's a really polished experience, but for me it's not like the top of the mountain burns. So would you rather see Sunset Overdrive 2 or whatever is after Rift Apart? Whatever's after Rift Apart because I like I thought the moment to moment action in Sunset Overdrive was just more fun because I loved riding the rails and blasting the zombies and like figuring out my traversal from point A to point B. Um and I loved the weapons. There's a lot that I loved in that game, but um, as wild and wonky as the story was, it was very over the top and silly. And while this franchise is like uh, cartoony, mm-hmm. it's also it's got a lot of heart and it's got a lot of humor to it. So I would be more interested in seeing what happens next with Ratchet and Clank than I would in Sunset Overdrive Two. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100 percent on that. I just didn't know if you were maybe gonna <laughs> jump out there and, and 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 say that 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 wouldn't be the case. And then we'd have words. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see what Sunset Overdrive would look like on a PS5. I think that would be awesome. It could be. Yeah, could be. Never going to happen. Uh, Burns, your final thoughts and takeaways, and we'll close with John's. Yeah, I I actually, I really enjoyed it. Like, this game and the 2016 game really made me want to, if I have the time at some point, like, and the means, like, I'm not going to go buy a bunch of copies of the PS2 games, but... For instance, if I were to jump onto the PlayStation uh, Premium, PlayStation Plus Premium plan, and a lot of the, if not all of the Ratchet and Clank games are on there, like I'd love to jump back through the back catalog and see what a lot of those original games were like. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I kind of feel a little bit bummed that I missed out on these when they came out on the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3. Um, but I'm glad that I got to play um, Rift Apart specifically. It's a phenomenal game. Um, and and it, like it looks, I mean, it legitimately looks like you're playing animation at the level of what the movie was. Um, or what any like Pixar animation is at this point. Like it just looks like it looks like an animated CG movie um, at every step of the way. And so I think that's a phenomenal, a phenomenal job that Insomniac did with this. I mean, to wrap it up, it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the games we play, we talk about on this podcast are massive epics. We talk for like like what like four weeks on the witcher three right and i, I mean, think four hours but <laughs> <laughs> i know but it sometimes we get so wrapped up in like the big heavy elden rings and like ghost of tsushima and these serious stories right that we forget that video games are fun mm-hmm. and they should be fun and sometimes you just want to like have crazy weapons and like smash tv stuff mm-hmm. right and blow things up and take an hour and just go in there and have that fun and then have a good story that's tied to it to that brings you back so to me it's you know if you like fun and you have a ps5 get this game right it's just a, a no-brainer the it's just a great great time it just reminds me like when i was a kid and i used to go rent a game and i'd have it all weekend and this would be the type of game i would rent and i would just be like i'm not sleeping because i'm gonna beat this game this weekend mm-hmm. and that's what type of experience this can be yeah, you said it very well. Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, very fun. The two games that we played, both very enjoyable. The movie, less enjoyable. <laughs> That's, That's a good epi- way to put it. Episode 51 in the books. <laughs> Next month, Billy and Phoenix will be here to discuss Peter Jackson. And we're just going to completely exclude the Hobbit films from that discussion. It's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at HobbyBoxBurns and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns and for the inevitable John Munch, I'm Tom Sidlachik at Tom Sidlachik OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.